Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 33. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. It's war out there. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. We will never get the chance. We will never get the chance to see the whistleblower raise his right hand, swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. We'll never get that chance. More importantly, the American people won't get that chance. This anonymous so-called whistleblower with no firsthand knowledge, who's biased against the president, who worked with Joe Biden, who was the reason we're all sitting here today, will never get a chance to question that individual. Democrats are trying to impeach the president based on all that, all that, 11 and a half months before an election. We'll not get to check out his credibility, his motivations, his bias. I said this last week, but this is, this is a sad day. This is a sad day for this country. You think about what the Democrats have put our nation through for the last three years. Started July of 2016 when they spied on two American citizens associated with the presidential campaign and all that unfolded with the Mueller investigation after that. And when that didn't work, here we are. Based on this, based on this is a, the American people see through all this, they understand the facts support the president. They understand this process is unfair. And they see through the whole darn sham. With that, I yield back. Mr. Welch. Uh, thank you. I say to my colleague, I'd be glad to have uh, the, the person who started it all come in and testify. Uh, president Trump is welcome uh, to take a seat right there. That was exceptionally annoying and always angry Republican Congressman from Ohio, Jim Jordan running his mouth ridiculously, as he often does, with no suit jacket on, and Democrat Peter Welch of Vermont handing his ass to him for all the world to see. This week, Jim Jordan dismissed a new claim that an allegation of sexual abuse against a man named Richard Strauss had been reported to him when the two men were employed at Ohio State University. Ever since Jordan left Ohio State, Many former wrestlers at the school have come forward to accuse Strauss of sexual abuse. An Ohio State University report last year found that Strauss committed 1,429 sexual assaults and 47 rapes on student patients during his career at the school. Strauss died by suicide in 2005, and Jim Jordan says he knew nothing about it. But Jim Jordan's angry, and he's the worst kind of angry American. And he's a combatant in this evolving political battlefield. He's outraged and uninformed. He's mad, but for all the wrong reasons. He's in power, but using it to focus on whistleblowers instead of a president that's shredding our Constitution daily. And he can't even show enough respect in a hearing, a congressional hearing, to wear a suit jacket. Now, I've testified before Congress many times. And I've always worn a jacket. I can't imagine not wearing a jacket. It would be like not wearing a jacket to a funeral. It would be disrespectful. Now, typically, men testify before Congress and wear a suit because it's a serious deal. When John Stewart spoke to Congress in support of the 9-11 first responders, he wore a suit jacket and tie. Even Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, who never wears a suit, wore a suit. And even Mayor Pete, who looks much better with no jacket on than Jordan, wears a suit when the occasion warrants it. But not Jordan. He's too busy banging on his chest. Well, arrogance in combat is a dangerous thing.
whether it's political combat or military combat. And we're about to see much more of it. This week, the impeachment war has fully begun. Donald Trump is now the fourth president in American history to face a formal impeachment inquiry. Andrew Johnson, Richard Nixon, Bill Clinton, and now Donald Trump. And each of those impeachment inquiries was a war. And this will be too. And it has begun. The battles of Veterans Day are behind us. But Veterans Month continues. And this Veterans Month, we're about to create a lot more veterans. Veterans of political combat. It's war out there. Everywhere. That's the reality. Overseas in places like Syria, where our Kurdish allies have been hung out to dry. And in six other countries around the world. A public service announcement and friendly reminder, the U.S. military is officially fighting wars in seven countries. Unclassified operations are happening now in Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, Somalia, Libya, and Niger, all under the banner of the same war authority granted under the 2002 Authorization for the Use of Military Force to Fight Al-Qaeda-linked Militants, the AUMF. So it's forever war out there. And it's brutal. Here at home, Politically, it's forever war too, and especially in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. And war is what our guest this episode knows better than anyone. He knows real wars and political wars. David Bellavia served in the army in Iraq and fought house to house and hand to hand. And for his valor, his exceptional valor, he was awarded our country's single highest military honor the Congressional Medal of Honor. David Bellavia knows war. But he also knows political war. He ran for Congress twice as a Republican. He started a conservative political action committee called Vets for Freedom. He hosts a conservative talk radio show. And recently, Donald Trump praised him at the White House. David Bellavia. David. I heard you maybe are going to be running for office, but someday I know, huh? I'll tell you. Boy, I'll tell you what. Here's my vote. We'll have a brave politician for a change, right? That's great. Nice to see you, David. Thank you very much. And years ago, Dave and me found ourselves in a few skirmishes, too. We had a dust-up or two. We were on the opposite sides of some issues, especially in the early days of the Iraq War. But that was a long time ago. All of it. And David Bellavia knows war. Unlike Jim Jordan and so many other bomb throwers in Congress that have never served, David Bellavia has actually seen bombs up close. He knows war. But he also knows the costs. And he's incredibly reflective and thoughtful about both kinds of it, actual and political. He's been steeled by war, humbled by it, enlightened by it. And he has an incredibly unique experience and a deepened wisdom that few in America have right now. And he'll share with us later in this episode. We'll talk about war. We'll talk about politics. We'll go deep into the unimaginable horror and heroism of the day that resulted in him being awarded the Medal of Honor 
this past summer. And we'll talk about how whiskey can taste better after combat. We'll talk about how war movies look like bullshit after combat. And we'll get into it a bit. Dave and I don't see eye to eye on some things. That's still true today. So we mixed it up a bit. But his sense of duty, patriotism, selflessness, humility, and honor, they'll move you. And they present a sharp contrast to the commander-in-chief who's seen the political combat, but never the other kind. And I asked Dave what the future of the Republican Party will look like. Will it look like him? Or will it look like Donald Trump? And his answer will probably surprise you. Donald Trump's bone spurs may have spared him from seeing war in Vietnam, but they won't spare him from seeing it in Washington. It's on now. Impeachment hearings have started. It's open political war in our nation's capital, on your airwaves, on the internet, and on the campaign trail. And it's looking like that war, that war will be a forever war as well. After 9-11, war was our new geopolitical norm. And after Donald Trump, it may be our new political norm too. But before we get to David Bellavia, with Veterans Day behind us, impeachment all around us, and the 2020 election in front of us, creeping closer and closer with increasing speed, like a torpedo of news and drama. There are some important issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. Issues you need to know about. Because the battlefield in America is dynamic. It's chaotic, and it's changing by the minute. Like the weather this month especially, in so many places in America. You don't know if you'll wake up to 60 degrees and sunshine and your team winning the World Series, or two feet of snow and your franchise quarterback blowing his knee out. Since this show started in April, we made it out of a spring filled with measles outbreaks, North Korean missile tests, and a scooter invasion. We survived the wildest summer in America since 1969. With our 9-11 first responders getting screwed, Iran blowing up tankers, and hurricanes blasting our shores. We made it through the terror and fright of Halloween, and a fall filled with a GM strike, violent riots worldwide, the implosion of northern Syria, and Rudy Giuliani butt dials. We made it through all that, with some inspiration, courtesy of the Women's World Cup soccer team, John Stewart and Rob Sarah, and Machete. And we did it while fishing with Rachel Maddow, riding an iBot with Dean Kamen, with a license plate from Bradley Whitford, wearing shoes from Sarah Jessica Parker, snacking on yummies from Tom Colicchio, eating Scott Campbell's Grandma's Magic Brownies, while doing push-ups with Cuomo, and jamming to a Mark Roberge, Garth Brooks mashup. The guests, the angry actions, and the helpers, they got us through all of it. And we'll need them again. And then some. We made it through all those times and all those seasons steeled, sometimes banged up, but ready for what now lies before us. The leaves are gone, the cold is here, and winter is coming. And we'll need all our experience, all our training, all our calluses, all our jokes, all our emotional reserves, and most of all, we'll need each other. Our great American experiment is about to face its toughest season yet. Winter is here. War is here. And in war, not everyone comes home wounded, but nobody comes home unchanged. One, two, yeah. What is 
But there's one guy in particular that just doesn't get that. Donald Trump Jr. And I was on CNN New Day this week and talked to John Berman about it. I want to ask you about something that came out in the last week from the president's son, Donald Trump Jr. He's got a, a new book out that he's out trying to sell. And in it, there's a passage where he describes walking through the graves uh, in Arlington National Cemetery the day before the inauguration. And this is what he wrote. He said, in that moment, I also thought of all the attacks we'd already suffered as a family and about all the sacrifices we'd have to make to help my father succeed, voluntarily giving up a huge chunk of our business and all the international deals to avoid the appearance that we were profiting off the office. I mean, this is the tone. I mean, every week there's something new like this. There, there's a tone deafness from the president and from his family around what it means to serve. Don Jr. is of age. If he really wants to understand what sacrifice is all about, he can join the military. You know, folks like Sean Spicer and others have done it. Rens Priebus just joined the military. There are plenty of ways you can serve your country, but you got to understand the cultural competency and understand what the military community is really all about. And comparing, you know, that to, to dead people at Arlington is ridiculous. And unfortunately, that's a kind of tone that's permeated the last three years of this administration. Time and time again, they hit political guardrails that they shouldn't hit. And just, just last week, uh, the president is, is going to be, I think, fined, his foundation is going to be fined $2 million for diverting funds that were raised for veterans that were instead put into politics. This was the charade they did back in uh, 2016 in Iowa, where he was going to boycott the Fox debate and raise money for veterans. Looks like the money didn't go to veterans. It went into politics. So time and time again, there's this politicization of the military and of our veterans that I think is very, very dangerous. And I brought it up on, on your show and others for the last three years. And I think it's about the core of our values and about the core of our democracy. Our veterans and, and military folks should be off limits when it comes to politics. Um, do you think Don Jr. was comparing his sacrifice to the sacrifice of those made inside Iran? You just showed it for a reason. I mean, I think that's how folks are, are viewing it. Uh, and, and again, it shows a, a tone deafness to, to the military community and the extent of the sacrifice. You know, being attacked politically, I've been attacked politically, and I've been in combat. They're not the same. They're not even close. And Don Jr. and anybody else serving in higher office or close to higher office should know that. Don Jr. doesn't get it. But his dad doesn't get war either. That's why he attacked the Gold Star family, the Khan family. And it's why he attacked John McCain. Never forget this. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Do you He's agree with that? He's a war hero because he was captured. That was just four years ago. But of course, he never stopped attacking John McCain, a man who deeply understood war. John McCain understood war in Vietnam and political warfare here at home. And in Vietnam, even in the toughest of circumstances, John McCain kept his honor, just like he did as a candidate for president. And unlike our commander-in-chief now, who undercuts our troops in Syria, betrays our allies, attacks active duty officers like Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, and constantly finds ways to help our enemies and abandon our values. And to top it all off, just days before Veterans Day, Trump was ordered to pay $2 million to charities for misuse of funds. The president admitted that he had used funds raised by the Donald J. Trump Foundation to promote his campaign and pay business debts. Among Trump's admissions in court papers, they're in the court papers, the charity gave his campaign complete control over dispersing $2.8 million that the foundation had raised at a fundraiser for veterans in Iowa in January 2016, days before the state's presidential nominating caucus. 
the fundraiser, he now acknowledges, was in fact a campaign event. That is exactly why I criticized the stunt by Trump back in 2016. And why, when I was running IABA, we refused to take money from him or any other candidate. Many other leading vets groups did the same. He politicized veterans. He used us. And now, he wants to continue to use us at Veterans Day parades and countless other events. He thinks we're props. We're not. And we're not having it. And he doesn't get to hijack Veterans Day. It's Veterans Day, not Draft Dodgers Day. But it happened. He was there, highly staged, no vets behind him or near him on stage. He did not march in the parade. That ensured that no protests could be seen and, of course, ensured better security. Securing the entire parade route would have been a nightmare. But the controversial decision to invite Trump to this Veterans Day parade was done with basically no input from the broader veterans community in New York City or anywhere else. It's normally the most unifying parade of the year in New York City. Not this time, unfortunately. And I talked to Hallie Jackson on MSNBC just after Trump finished his remarks. I want to bring in now as we watch the president shake hands and say goodbye, Paul Rykoff, the founder and former president of the Iraq and Afghanistan's Veterans of America, now the host of the Angry Americans podcast. Paul, uh, we're running up on the end of the show here, but I wanted to get your reaction to this. You are not at this event today. Can you explain why that is? Yeah, I don't want to be politicized. And I think many veterans are staying away from this parade because they feel like it's being unnecessarily politicized. Uh, Everywhere Trump goes has become a divisive and partisan event. And that's true today. No matter how much they stage it, there are some veterans who are staying home today because he's there. There are some veterans who are off-site protesting. And what is normally a day of tremendous unity and patriotism and cohesion has now been just really swathed in in politics. His remarks were thankfully not that political, but his very Mm. presence, and especially the last couple of months of the attacks on McCain, the attacks on Colonel Vindman, it goes on and on. Anybody watching knows the deal. But I'm not going to be politicized. It's a personal choice. And other veterans are making the same choice today. I should note for our viewers as well that some of the the audible yelling that you could hear uh, at the top of the president's remarks and after, we are told from our team on the ground is from a group of people who were outside uh, in the west side, I believe, of this park, Uh, Paul. But to your point, obviously, even on a day that is meant to honor veterans, some protests above the president in a high rise, letters are spelled out, impeach and convict. Uh, People had put in the windows above the park there, Paul. Uh, So it is unavoidable, even on a day like today. You also, and I want to give you a chance to respond here, have the president's son um, talking just before Veterans Day uh, in his new book that has been released about visiting Arlington National Cemetery, seeing the rows of white grave markers and saying, in that moment, I thought of all the attacks we'd already suffered as a family and all the sacrifices we'd have to make. And Paul, if you'd like, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. It's ridiculous. It's insulting. And it's part of why I'm not at the parade today. And many other folks are not going to be at the parade today. There's a total disconnect when it comes to cultural competency and just a tone deafness. Being attacked politically is not the same as being attacked in a war zone. I know. I've been attacked politically and I've been attacked in a war zone. They're not the same thing. And if Donald Trump Jr. Mm-hmm. wants to see the difference, he should go to a war zone. He's young enough to enlist and plenty. Of, I'm sure the military would be happy to have him. Paul, very quickly before I uh, have to let you go, Arlington National Cemetery, some new proposals being instituted to potentially limit who can be buried there. Your quick response? They're running out of space. I mean, it's a real logistical challenge, and I think that's the bottom line here. It underscores how many World War II veterans we're losing. Over 20 million veterans in this country, and we're losing thousands of them every month, and we've got to get creative in figuring out how we can honor them and still really respect and and protect uh, the very sacred space that is Arlington. Arlington is a place Don Jr. doesn't understand. 
and war is something he doesn't understand. That's also why he retweeted an exceptionally ugly video that sounded like this. Give me a gun, I'll shoot you, son. It's okay. It ain't okay. I fought for the freedom you guys enjoy. Sir, I did the same thing. I'm a veteran, bro. It's okay. I was with MacArthur in the Pacific. God bless you. Thank you very much, sir. I'm not going to flip out because they, that's their opinion. It's okay. They're allowed to have it. Let's show some love. Let's show some peace. These are communist bastards. They're communists. Hey, it ain't happening. Don't worry. I'm not afraid. It's okay. It's okay. The president's son, Donald J. Trump Jr., retweeted that on Veterans Day without comment. It's an ugly scene, an irate vet threatening to murder peaceful protesters. The incident and this retweet shows how the Trumps contaminated the entire parade this week. Vets are just another political tool to be weaponized. Even this guy. 93-year-old James Bishop, one of the oldest surviving war veterans in the U.S., who is terrifyingly wrong, is just another piece on the chessboard for Donald J. Trump Jr. By retweeting that video of an ignorant, aggressive, violent veteran who is, of course, white, Donald Trump Jr. is perpetuating the worst stereotypes of who we are as veterans. This is the veteran many Americans fear, understandably. And Donald Trump Jr., he's dialing it up. It's even more than tone deaf. It's intentional. And it's insidious. No matter what party or no party you come from, we must call them out. We must fight back. Not just on Veterans Day, but every day. Until it stops. It's dirty political war. Like using white phosphorus on the battlefield. It's against the laws of war. The Geneva Convention. It's what other countries might do, but not Americans. We're better than that. There are rules in war, and honorable warriors and honorable societies adhere to them, like not using chemical weapons and not torturing people. Not just because these things are wrong, but also because in the long term, they're counterproductive to your strategic military goals. I wrote about it in the New York Times back in 2006, but unfortunately, it often needs repeating. In 2002, I attended the infantry officer basic course at Fort Benning, Georgia. They call it the schoolhouse, where every new army infantry officer spends six months studying the basics of the craft, including the rules of war. And I remember a seasoned officer coming in and explaining the importance of the Geneva Conventions. And he told us, When an enemy fighter knows he'll be treated well by the United States forces if captured, he's more likely to give up. So a year later on the streets of Baghdad, I saw countless insurgents surrender when faced with the prospect of a hot meal, a pack of cigarettes, and some air conditioning. America's moral integrity was the single most important weapon my platoon had on the streets of Iraq. It saved countless lives. It encouraged cooperation with our allies and it deterred Iraqis from joining the growing insurgency. It also affects future wars, because when we lower the bar for the treatment of our prisoners, other countries feel justified doing the same thing. The success of America's fight against terrorism depends more on the strength of our moral integrity than on our troop numbers in Iraq or anywhere else 
or on the flexibility of our interrogation options. Our moral integrity is essential in combat. It's also essential in our politics. Just like we don't torture, we shouldn't attack gold star families. We shouldn't call opponents nasty racist names like Pocahontas. And we shouldn't politically exploit our troops in uniform. But if Trump or anyone else does, just like Assad or Kim Jong-un, we can't just lay down. We have to improvise, adapt, and overcome. That's what his opponents will have to do too. And they better get doing it quick because the battlefields of Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina are just over the hill. And Trump's over there waiting on the other side. But who will be the field commander that will lead his or her forces into the fray? Well, that's still very much up in the air. There's that other unfolding battlefield, the 2020 election. Who's in? Who's out? Who's up? Who's down? It's hard to keep track. But here's the top lines you need to know. Bloomberg might be in. Mike Bloomberg, former New York City mayor, billionaire, self-made business giant, and philanthropist, is reportedly considering entering the race as a Democrat. And for many independents like me, our attention is peaked. News reports say Bloomberg is expected to file paperwork this week in Alabama, where the filing deadline is Friday. Several other states, including New Hampshire, have filing deadlines as early as this week. This would make things very interesting. Look, I think Bloomberg's the best mayor of my lifetime, hands down. And Trump, of course, weighed in and gave him a nasty nickname. Little Michael will fail. He'll spend a lot of money. Uh, He's got some really big issues. He's got some personal problems. And he's got a lot of other problems. But I know Michael Bloomberg fairly well. Not too well, fairly well. Well enough. He will not do very well. And if he did, I'd be happy. There is nobody I'd rather run against than little Michael. That I can tell you. Now, anyone who gets that kind of reaction from Trump might be on to something. And I'm seeing a lot of excitement in the last few days around Mike Bloomberg getting in, especially among moderates and independents. No matter how you feel about him, there's no denying he's appealing to many people in this country, especially many who've seen him get things done up close in places like New York City. You'll hear a lot about his controversial stop and frisk policies and how rich he is, but I can tell you he's been one of the most even, effective, and selfless political leaders I've ever seen. And he ran New York City as well as it's ever been run. He's a leader who can get things done. When I was in Iraq, they told me he was pushing a smoking ban. And I laughed out loud. I never thought that shit would happen. But it did. And New York City's a better place for it, and other cities followed. It's just one example. But it's an example of how Mike Bloomberg is a person with vision, focus, and most of all, an incredible ability to get shit done. And that's something we sorely need in government right now when nothing seems to work. And our commander-in-chief has to immediately, on day one, run one of the biggest, most vexing bureaucratic machines in the world. And I don't think any of the Democratic candidates could touch him on that. But we'll see. And that field of Democratic candidates is about to get even bigger by another one. Another one. Another one. Another one. Another one. And another one. Deval Patrick will reportedly enter the 2020 presidential race this week. Patrick is the former two-term governor of Massachusetts, 
and he called a bunch of leading Democrats and allies saying he will announce his bid for the White House. Now, I've met Deval Patrick before, actually, and he impressed me. When I was running IAVA years ago, many national leaders reached out to us to ask for advice and how to do better by vets. Deval Patrick actually came to our offices in New York. He hired an awesome guy named Coleman Nee, one of the best state-level veterans in America who did a great job. And with a lot of help from advocates and state reps, he made Massachusetts a real leader for veterans. Deval Patrick's smart, he's inspiring, he's authentic, but I have no idea how he cracks into this crowded field this late. But I've said it before, there's rarely any downside to your personal brand after declaring for president. Even if you don't win, you're better off. Your name is on America's lips, you're the subject of multiple podcast mentions, and you're much more likely to be considered for VP or cabinet or for a multitude of other opportunities from book deals to TV shows. Just remember when so many people laughed at Andrew Yang and at Mayor Pete. They're not laughing anymore. But they are still eating their own. In this installment of Dems Are Eating Their Own, Mayor Pete Buttigieg is now the frontrunner. So it's time for Dems to try to elevate themselves by attacking him. Enter Senator Amy Klobuchar, reminding everyone that the new Iowa frontrunner, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, is not a woman. I'm the one from the Midwest that's actually Mm. won in a statewide race over and over again. And that's not true of Mayor Pete. That's just a fact. I'm focusing here on my fellow women senators of Senator Harris, Senator Warren, and myself. Do I think that we would be standing on that stage if we had the experience that he had? No, I don't. Maybe we're held to a different standard. Look, there's no doubt women face challenges that men don't. And that's a very real issue. But Mayor Pete is the wrong target. And again, the Dems underestimate how his military background might be a part of what's propelling him. Klobuchar says no woman with that little experience would be on the same stage. Really? She forget about Tulsi Gabbard? She'll be on the next debate stage and has only been in Congress for about six years and has zero executive experience outside the military. If Mayor Pete were a woman, he might actually be doing better definitely in the Democratic Party. The bigger news is that Mayor Pete is for real. There's a new Iowa poll out from Monmouth ranking the Democrats, and it looks good for Mayor Pete. Pete Buttigieg is at 22%, up 14 since August, just since August. Biden's now at 19, down 7. Warren is at 18%, down 2. Bernie Sanders is at 13%, up 5. Then you've got Klobuchar, who's up 2 Harris, who continues to fall down to 3%, Steyer at 3%, Yang at 3%, which is up 2 Booker at 2%, up 1%, and Gabbard at 2%, up 1%. Everybody else is 1% or less. So Pete Buttigieg is on the rise. And right now, the odds on favor to win Iowa. This from a guy that back in March, no one could even pronounce his name. But now he's the odds on favor to win in Iowa. And if that happens, this entire game gets reset. Just ask Barack Obama, who is, by the way, sitting on the sidelines and surely will all the way until the convention next summer. Then he and Michelle are going to come flying into this battlefield like a laser-guided missile. Hopefully, like a Jon Snow uniting the tribes to fight the Night King. But until then, the Dems are busy being Dems, attacking Buttigieg more than they're attacking Donald Trump. Biden's softened up pretty well now. 
And as he starts to move down, the crabs in a bucket just climb on up to the next level. It's bad. It's typical. It's war. And often, it's friendly fire. There's just a whole lot more of it when you're a Democrat. And on the other side, Republicans are trying to stay on track. A few candidates you forgot are running are making no progress or dropping out. Former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford has dropped out of the presidential race. I bet you forgot he was in. But he dropped his challenge to Donald Trump for the Republican presidential nomination this week, saying the focus on impeachment has made it difficult for his campaign to get traction. Is that why? You got to be a realist, Sanford said outside the New Hampshire State House. What I did not anticipate is an impeachment. Well, we did not anticipate is your candidacy. The former governor announced his decision to suspend the campaign on the eve of the televised hearings for the impeachment, and he centered his campaign on the national debt and emphasized that the impeachment hurt his bid. Now, he's still most known for being the governor who went missing for a week back in 2009 after returning home from Argentina to admit he had been having an affair and was resigning. Sanford said he was hiking the Appalachian Trail, while in actuality, he was in Argentina with a mistress. Yeah, so he's out. And that's all we'll have to say about that forever, I hope. Now on the Republican side, outside of Donald Trump, that leaves only radio show host and Congressman Joe Walsh, the guy from Illinois who called Barack Obama a Muslim and then got kicked off the radio for saying racist shit, and former governor and federal prosecutor Bill Weld, another 70-something white guy you forgot about until I just said his name. But for once, there is actually something interesting to talk about on the Republican side. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is running for vice warlord of planet Trump, and it appears VP. Do you think this was a perfect call? If in his mind, he thinks it was a perfect call. What do you think? You know, I think it's never a good practice for us to ask a foreign country to investigate an American. It's just not a good practice. Having said that, there's no insistence on that call. There are no demands on that call. It is a conversation between two presidents that's casual in nature. And, you know, it's just hard to find anywhere that the president of Ukraine would have thought funds were being held and that he had to do this. Well, I mean, as a backdrop, and you, among all people, know how important these funds are to Ukraine. You were one of the leading voices on behalf of Ukraine against Russian aggression. They always know that the funding of their military is hanging over their heads, do they not? But they also know that President Trump has been very strong for Ukraine by giving anti-tank missiles, by going against Russia, holding the sanctions, expelling The aid was on hold at that moment. The aid did go on hold. It eventually was released. You know, you can have those hypotheticals. It was released. That's a fact. The aid was held up. That is not a hypothetical, right? Was the aid released? It was. Okay. It's being widely speculated in the midst of all this chaos, Trump might dump Mike Pence and replace him on the ticket with Nikki Haley, former ambassador to the UN and governor of South Carolina. Now, in combat, distraction is often an effective tool. And net-net, this would be a good political move for Donald Trump, in my view. Nikki Haley would have appeal with independence that Pence will never have. And even if it helps him a little, it could be the difference. And it would really shake up the entire political battlefield. Americans generally don't fire generals in the middle of wars, but Russians do, and Trump seems to be more inclined toward the way they operate lately than we do anyway. So watch this space. 
And the Russians are surely enjoying all this internal combat, all this friendly fighting, seeing Americans divided. The hashtag I use is still, our enemies are celebrating. And they're watching. And they're probably brushing up on their Medea movies right now. Because the next debate is coming in hot. And next week, it's going to be at Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta. Tyler Perry. Yes. The movie mogul behind 17 feature films, 20 stage plays, 7 television shows, a New York Times bestselling book, and the guy who was an actor in Gone Girl and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The new one in 2016, not the old one. And the guy in all the Medea movies. And Medea, she's long been an angry American. I told them that I didn't need to come here and see you, okay? Well, I don't usually see people individually, but when I saw this tape of you getting arrested, I thought, I have got to talk to this woman. What is wrong with you? Why are you act- Why are you so angry? First of all, ain't nothing wrong with me. Secondly, I'm not angry, okay? I'm not angry. You seem angry right now. No, I'm not angry. This is how I am. I, I don't have no hostility at all. What, do you have to be in control all the time of everything? I don't have to be in control all the time. I ain't got no problem with that. Well, then why do you get so angry? I don't get angry. I keep trying to tell you and that jerk that I do not get angry. If somebody do something to me, I do something to them. This is common sense. So you believe in getting even? Hell to the yeah. Why do you feel the need that you got to get somebody all the time? It's like, get them, get them, get them. You don't think that's angry? If they got me, got me, got me, I got to get them, get them, get them. Yeah, that, that's what it is. But, but, well, what you call getting got is a whole lot different than what other people call getting got. It doesn't take much to get you, does it? Well, when you get and got and somebody done got you and you go get them, when you get them, everybody's going to get got. That's Medea. She's pretty angry. But Tyler Perry, he's not. Forbes listed him as the highest paid man in entertainment in 2011 earning $130 million in one year alone. The Tyler Perry studio is the only major film studio owned by someone who's African-American. And Georgia, the state of Georgia, is going to be key in 2020 for Democrats and Republicans. And black turnout will be key for both. Now, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms was among a group of leaders who made the case for Atlanta and this location in particular. She said, the fact that this will be hosted on an old Confederate army base built by slaves and now owned by an African-American man, speaks to all the country has been, all that it is, and all that it can be. It'll also be at the Oprah Winfrey soundstage at the Tyler Perry Studios. Now, if Oprah ran, she'd definitely make the stage. A stage that is now set for the next clash. And there's a war outside. There's a war going on outside, no man is safe from... Ten candidates will be on that stage, and here they are. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Tom Steyer, who shouldn't be up there, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Tulsi Gabbard. She made it with the assist thanks to Hillary Clinton. That's not an endorsement. That's an analysis. Not making the stage. Julian Castro, Michael Bennett, Steve Bullock, John Delaney, Joe Sestak, and Marion Williamson. MSNBC and The Washington Post will be co-hosting. And finally, in 2020 news, our recent guest, Tulsi Gabbard, is back in the news again. She's demanding an apology from Hillary. I talked about this this week on Pod Save America, and I've been talking about it on Twitter and other places because the conversation I had with her has been everywhere. But Tulsi Gabbard's lawyers this week 
sent a letter to Hillary Clinton demanding that she retract her Russia comments. And this is what it said. Quote, your statement is defamatory and we demand that you retract it immediately. That's what the lawyers wrote. And adding with specificity that the retraction should be done at a press conference, as well as in writing on social media and in the press. Very ambitious. Uh, The letter reads, the statement is false. Congressman Gabbard is not being groomed by Russians to be a third-party candidate, nor is she a Russian asset. Rather, she is a patriotic, loyal American, a sitting four-term U.S. congressman, and a major in the United States Army National Guard. Now, Gabbard initially hit back on Clinton in social media and in media interviews, including on this show. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to episode 30. It's one of our biggest yet. And she called Clinton the queen of the warmongers. Now, Gabbard's continue to rally her supporters with this. For Gabbard, Hillary is the gift that just keeps on giving. I'm sure she's going to dial it up for the next debate stage. She's taking a page from AOC. She's taking a page from Trump. And Tulsi Gabbard, whether you like it or not, has found a way to keep herself in the news. And it's almost time for that next debate. It's almost time for another kumite, another cage match, another battle in the war for the White House. So get your popcorn ready and some peeps too. All I want to know if you got your popcorn ready. And my invitation stands to all presidential candidates and, of course, to President Trump to be my guest on this show. It's out there now, an invitation to all of them. One down, many to go, and I am happy to report they have been responding. And we will have some news soon. But Angry Americans is growing in popularity and in power. People are especially recognizing that there are many of us that are fed up and tired of seeing the candidates go to the same old shows. And that there are many of us who are independent, unaffiliated, or just sick of the parties. And many of us that don't have a party and don't want one. So the candidates are going to have to earn our votes and answer the car question. At least two have accepted and will join us on this podcast in the future. And we will have audience events and an opportunity for you to see the show in person. So stay tuned and be sure to check our newsletter at angryamericans.us to find out first. The political combat will continue to unfold. And even if the Pentagon doesn't do briefings and keep you updated, we will. And some good news. Outside of the spotlight, something good and important happened in Washington this week. After two years of fighting, the IAVA-led landmark Deborah Sampson Act to recognize the service of women veterans has passed in the House. 399 to 11. Years of hard advocacy got it to this point. Now, it's not done until Trump signs it into law. And the VA motto, the sexist VA motto that doesn't include women, still must be changed. That's not part of this bill. But it's a big step forward. And some politicians have helped. Even more will take credit. But as always, it was the activists that drove it forward. And especially the team at IAVA and all their allies, especially Allison Jaslow, Tom Porter, Kristen Rouse, Melissa Bryant, Jeremy Butler, Kate Hendrick, Travis Hoare, Steph Mulls, Sarah Poquette, Tegan Griffin, Haley Scott, Wayne Smith, Tyree Tulloch, and many, many, many others. Advocacy is a team effort, and it's been a real team effort to get this across the goal line. And 11 people voted against it. 11. And I promised you in the past, if you screw up, I'll make you famous. So here's who they are. The 11, the dirty 11, who failed to stand with women veterans, who failed to support the Deborah Sampson Act, and failed to recognize that this is about our moral obligation and our national security. Justin Amash from the 3rd District of Michigan, 
Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona's Fighting Fifth. He wasn't fighting that day. Congressman Ken Buck from Colorado. He says he's representing the wonderful people of Colorado's fourth. Well, apparently not the women veterans there. Uh, Representative Paul Gosser, who is also a dentist representing Arizona's fourth district. He also voted against the Deborah Sampson Act. Call him and ask him why. Representative Andy Harris, a doctor who is an anesthesiologist from Maryland. Uh, He's going to need some anesthesia, I hope, to deal with the pain of this bad decision. Representative Duncan Hunter from California's 50th. He's a guy who's had some problems. Now he should have some more because he voted against the Deborah Sampson Act. Representative Tom Massey from Kentucky's 4th. Again, Kentucky not looking good. Representative Ralph Norman from South Carolina, the 5th District. He's a guy who voted against the Deborah Sampson Act. And finally, Representative Van Taylor, proudly serving the 3rd Congressional District of Texas, except for the women veterans and most veterans who were there. He's from Plano, Texas. So call him, tell him they're wrong, tell him you're watching, and hold them accountable. Now, Trump should finally stop standing in the way of that inevitable and overdue progress and change the sexist VA motto. It matters. It's simple. It's overdue. Now, advocacy is not a big bang. It's a drumbeat. And massive thanks to all those advocates that have been pounding the drum for change for women veterans for decades. And on so many other critical issues nationwide, advocacy is painful, grinding work, especially in an environment like this. But it's worth it. Always. And there's always work to be done, especially around issues of war and especially on Veterans Month, because war has consequences, massive ones. And nobody knows that more than our guest, David Bellavia. David G. Bellavia was born November 10th, 1975 in Buffalo, New York. His dad was a dentist and he was the youngest of four boys and grew up in Western New York. After graduating high school, David went to Franklin Pierce University and the University of Buffalo, where he studied biology and theater before turning into the military. Bellavia enlisted in the Army as an infantryman in 1999. The Army assigned Bellavia to Syracuse Recruiting Battalion, an assignment which he needed to allow his infant son to receive medical care that he needed. And in 2001, Bellavia had to choose between changing his military occupational specialty, submitting a hardship discharge, or remaining as an infantryman and leaving his family for up to 36 months on an unaccompanied trip to Germany. After 9-11, Bellavia felt his country needed him, and he chose to stay and fight. That sense of duty had been ingrained in him since he was a child. His grandfather, Joseph, served in the Army during the Normandy campaign of World War II and got a Bronze Star for valor. Bellavia's unit deployed to Kosovo for nine months before receiving orders to deploy directly to Iraq in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. From February 2004 to February 2005, Bellavia and 2nd Battalion, 2nd Infantry Regiment were stationed in Dayala Province along the Iranian border. Throughout that year, his task force took part in battles for Najaf, Mosul, Bakaba, Makhdidia, and Fallujah. He actually returned to Iraq as an embedded reporter in 2006 and 2008, where he covered the heavy fighting in Ramadi, Fallujah, and Dayala Province. In 2007, he wrote a book, House to House, detailing his experiences in Fallujah. And he had a number of articles appear in national publications, and he was on cable news. He's a business owner and a loyal Buffalo area sports fan. His awards and decorations are many, and he was inducted in the New York State Veterans Hall of Fame in 2005. But it was one day in 2004 
that would change his life and change history forever. And on June 7, 2019, it was revealed to the media that Bellavia's Silver Star would be upgraded to the Medal of Honor. The Medal of Honor ceremony took place at the White House on June 25, 2019, and was awarded to Bellavia by President Donald Trump. The ceremony was attended by a number of the guys from Bellavia's platoon in Iraq, and it became the first and currently is the only living Medal of Honor recipient from the Iraq War. There's no way to properly tell this story. He's going to tell it himself in just a minute. But in my experience, the official citation is always something that should be recognized. The President of the United States, authorized by Act of Congress from March 3rd, 1863, awarded in the name of Congress the Medal of Honor to Staff Sergeant David G. Bellavia, United States Army, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. Bellavia distinguished himself by acts of gallantry above and beyond the call of duty on November 10, 2004, while serving as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. While clearing a house, the squad from Bellavia's platoon was trapped within a room by intense enemy fire, coming from a fortified position under the stairs leaning to the second floor. Recognizing the immediate severity of the situation, and with disregard for his own safety, Staff Sergeant Bellavia retrieved an automatic weapon and entered the doorway of the house to engage the insurgents. With enemy rounds impacting around him, Staff Sergeant Bellavia fired at the enemy position at a cyclic rate, providing covering fire that allowed the squad to break contact and exit the house. A Bradley fighting vehicle was brought forward to suppress the enemy. However, due to the high walls surrounding the house, it could not fire directly at the enemy position. Staff Sergeant Bellavia then re-entered the house and again came under intense enemy fire. He observed an enemy insurgent preparing to launch a rocket-propelled grenade at his platoon. Recognizing the grave danger the grenade posed to his fellow soldiers, Staff Sergeant Bellavia assaulted the enemy position, killing one insurgent and wounding another who ran into a different part of the house. Bellavia, realizing he had an uncleared, darkened room to his back, moved to clear it. As he entered, an insurgent came down the stairs firing at him. Simultaneously, the previously wounded insurgent re-emerged and engaged Bellavia. Staff Sergeant Bellavia, entering further into the darkened room, returned fire and eliminated both insurgents. Staff Sergeant Bellavia then received enemy fire from another insurgent emerging from a closet in the darkened room. Exchanging gunfire, Bellavia pursued the enemy up the stairs and eliminated him. Now on the second floor, Bellavia moved to a door that opened onto the roof. At this point, a fifth insurgent leapt from the third floor roof onto the second floor. Bellavia engaged the insurgent through a window, wounding him in the back and legs and caused him to fall off of the roof. Acting on an instinct to save the members of his platoon from an imminent threat, Bellavia ultimately cleared an entire enemy-filled house, destroyed four insurgents, and badly wounded a fifth. Bellavia's bravery, complete disregard for his own safety, and unselfish and courageous actions are in keeping with the finest traditions of military service and reflect great credit upon himself and the U.S. Army. David Bellavia saved lives. Because of David Bellavia, his platoon was saved. Because of David Bellavia, sons came home for Christmas, were there for dinners, were there for birthdays, and there would be fathers to babies that would later be born. David Bellavia is a leader of integrity, passion, 
heroism. He embodies the best of humanity because he's seen the worst of it. And as our country twists deeper into a political war, the likes of which we've never seen, we'll have a conversation with a man who's experienced what few have ever seen and survived. He's come out on the other side with a new mission to find ways to serve, inspire, and help. War is hell. General Douglas MacArthur once said, the soldier above all others prays for peace, for it is the soldier who must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war. David Bellavia is bearing the scars for all of us, and by doing so, is lifting us all up and teaching us about war and about life. This conversation will give you a blast of war and an appreciation for peace and most of all perspective when we need it so badly. It's a squad of integrity. It's a platoon of information. It's a company of impact and a battalion of inspiration. It's a deep, honest, raw look inside what we really ask our young men and women to do and what they think about it and what they shoulder when they come home. Not everyone comes home from war wounded, but nobody comes home unchanged. And after this conversation, you'll have a much greater understanding about why. When you finish it, you won't leave wounded. It might hurt your heart a bit, but more likely, it'll fill your heart up and leave you coming out the other side with some invaluable perspective. Perspective that'll make the sun a little brighter, the air a little sweeter, the laugh of a child a little warmer, and maybe, just maybe, bring all of us a little bit closer. Because that's what combat can do. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 33. Welcome to the fight. Generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind the first ever Medal of Honor recipient we've ever had on this show, and a man I've known for many years. That's right. And, and admire, and I'm really grateful you could be here, the great and powerful David Bellavia. Welcome to Angry Americas, my friend. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, we have, we've gone back a while. And, you know, it's crazy. I, I wanted to sit down with you. It's great that we're doing your show, and I want to support anything you're doing because I think you're a good man. Uh, but I've wanted to sit down with you for a very long time. And, and, and just kind of go over, you know, this evolution that we had and how, uh, you know, of all the things uh, of the war, the one thing I never want to see is what happened in 2008, where the gladiators of public policy are the veterans. Mm. That absolutely, it ripped my soul out of my body. I'm, I'm ashamed of being a part of a process where, um, 
you know, because we disagree, somehow we're different. Mm. And, and one of the things that we pride ourselves in is that in the military, what you loved, who you look, what you looked like, who you worship, none of that mattered. We did our, our thing. We argued. We, 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 we did everything because we're a family. But we, that division is, uh, is something, you know, I never want to see again. Right. And, if, and if I played a role in that, uh, I, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Ben, back at you, man. Yeah. I think that that's part of why I wanted to create this show and create this forum because you can't have real conversations in like a cable news soundbite. Right. Right. Like you got to have a real sit down and yeah. a conversation about the most important issues facing this country, facing our families, facing our communities. And you are a really important voice. You were a very important voice before you received the Medal of Honor. And oh, now gosh. it's on a, on a whole nother level. And you and I haven't seen each other in person in, man, it's been maybe years. like a decade. Yeah, it's been a long time. Right? I, mean, I, follow, I follow what you do because there, there were no one, you filled a, a, a vacuum that no one really had the, the courage to do at the time. Understand when Chasing Ghosts came out, we didn't think the Iraq war, we didn't think we'd be 18 years into conflict. Right. This, this was really about the invasion of Iraq. It was a perspective that was like, this is my war experience. Who, who, and we never thought down the road that there, you know, that we'd still be talking about the Iraq war in the sense that we were, you know, still at skin in the game. So you go from how long is this conflict going to end? What are the needs of the veterans in 2004 compared to the needs of the veterans, you know, in 2019? I mean, no one, you know, the, the idea that we're, and the other the other issue with that too is that we have this existential crisis where we want people to join the military, but the first thing we show after one of the army has just invested a ton of money into brand new commercials. They got Peter Berg doing them. Yeah, huge budget. He was a guest on this show a couple months back. He's a stud. Yeah. He's yeah, a great he guy. He's great. But but you've got like you know Michael Bay producing right, army right, critters, right. and then right after that you see a kid, literally right after the army commercial, there's a kid with a prosthetic arm. And a wounded warrior commercial, and it's it's such a, a you're really screwing with moms and dads. Yeah, right. Because you're like, true. Yeah. trust us with your your son. We're going to make him an individual in a community. He's going to better the country and better when he's home. But you know, here's the percentage that he's going to need. You know, help opening a microwave when he's yeah. there. And and like the simplification that veterans are either villains victims or victors right like there's right. this oversimplification right. either you're fighting a lava monster right. or you're crying in the streets right, right like right. begging for change Mouth right breather and I think or, yeah. you're an example of yeah. a guy who, who defies those stereotypes and, and always has but but since it's angry americans first of all thank you for coming to the car club thank you very you much. are also a new yorker that's right which which i i am always uh happy to talk about you you grew up upstate buffalo buffalo that's right and you're you're in the city now but i ask every uh every guest to choose a cocktail or a beverage and would you tell folks what you've chosen and why uh well i just am trying to impress you so i got whiskey that's that, and, dude uh, you're, that you're, you're gonna I'm impress doing. me either way yeah. man no no so we I got whiskey it, rocks are you a whiskey guy i am so yeah. part of the show that you will find out is that uh we always talk about american whiskey all right. And uh, I will have a special surprise for you at the end. But cheers, my friend. Salute right. to you, sir. Appreciate it. To the Army, maybe? What do we toast to? Yeah, to the Army. I'll take that. To the Army? Because yeah. you are the, correct me if I'm wrong, you are the only living Medal of Honor recipient who has served in Iraq and was awarded the medal for operations in Iraq. Right. Correct? And, and I can 
I can also say with that statement how absurd that is. Right. Because that, it really is shameful. There's, I could find, I mean, just you name a place that you spent any time in and we can find a story. I mean, to understand how insane Iraq became was that areas that you might've been in in 2003 that were, you know, completely calm and, and it became restive and violent or Beale, which everyone thought the North of Iraq was the safest place. And then ISIS comes in and you've got Christians being slaughtered out there. So you could find a, a story in every province of Iraq that is worthy of the medal of honor. I don't know what, you know, it's easy to say it's politics, but it's an army thing. You know, the, the Marines are like, why aren't there more Marines? That's a Marine Corps thing. Right. It's all the branches. I think we made a, a mistake in 2003 where we thought the war was going to end. We started giving out a bunch of awards. And then all of a sudden it was like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. you know, who's to say if this is an award, it's going to be worthy, you know, there's going to be a story two, two years down the road. So it's awkward and it's weird to be the only living guy. I think that's pretty shameful. I think you, we're going to see throughout this conversation that you're humble and you're about the team, and that's you know what shined on that fateful day, and what has shined before and after. I think, and why you know when you came in, um, you, you're not wearing the medal, which is something we talked about because you guys can choose to do with it what you want. But you, you said uh, you know something like so it's over there. I want to see it, and it was it's in your jacket, right? And you know you're just a dude walking around New York City with a friend, right? And you're coming to a car club. They they don't know you're a Medal of Honor recipient walking in, but for for me. You know, when that comes out, right, the, the reverence and the respect and just so much of the history and sacrifice that's baked into that. I mean, I don't know if there's anything outside of my children I've held in my hands that I feel is so sacred. Yeah, Paul, right? so the first time I ever held one, it's, you know, literally around my neck. And it felt like like Lord of the Rings in a way. <laughs> like like I was like, a, like it, it's, it's, and the other, the other thing is that you feel like, I don't, I always... I always had a chip on my shoulder because I was an Iraq vet. I always felt like I would hang out with my buddies who did the, the multiple deployment thing. Um, and when I was in the army, if you did, you know, 15 months, you were like, tell us the stories of what was, you know, you were right. just the grizzled. And now you got kids that were like eight, nine years away from their, their families. But it was when I would hang out with my Af- Afghan vet guys, they would always say, thank you for your service. That was the war. Right. And then I'd be like, I was, you know, in Iraq and they would say, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry you had to go through that. That was really horrible. And I, and I was thinking to myself, you know, when you make good wars and bad wars, that does trickle down to the vet. And, you know, again, I wouldn't know a weapon of mass destruction if it literally <laughs> fell on me. You know, I mean, if you gave me a vote, I would have stayed home. You know what I mean? Mm. Somehow, why that that we're pro-war, that we're somehow um, uh, become uh, apologists. The, the biggest concern I had when this thing happened was, am I going to be asked to defend the policies that brought us to war? Is this just going to be a, an award or is this going to be an apology tour mm. where we go every city and say, let's talk about Iraq. What were we doing? Should have been Iran. You know, let's go back. And and everywhere I go with that thing, I have gold stars. Mm. Every day you hear, you know, that, uh, what what is it? Uh, Time heals all wounds. Total Mm. bullshit. Mm. It doesn't heal a thing. If you lose a son unnaturally, catastrophically, man, that's every day. And, and, And with this thing, I'm ripping scabs. 
I, I go everywhere and I go up to a woman. I'm like, Hey, your son died in, in Ramadi. Let me just cut you again. Right. Let's live that again. And, and you get all of this emotion. So it's, um, there's nothing enjoyable about going to, to people that are still grieving and saying, you know, I'm here standing with an award and your son, you know, not only is never coming home, who's reminding people that he lived, who's reminding people why he died, mm. you know? And so I, I just personalize all that by saying, you know, I get the people that ask me, why do we fight? What do you tell a mom whose son died? They died for us. I mean, we, we very well could have been, you could have been extended. You could have been put in a different unit and you're going out doing your thing. Um, everyone who kicks down a door expects a bad guy to be there. Just because yeah. you don't find them doesn't mean you're any less brave or any less tough. So it's uh, it's been a pretty big burden. It, um, that, that's a really powerful point, the burden. So I, I've been privileged enough, Dave, to be around in a number of Medal of Honor recipients, to be around folks like Jack Jacobs and Bob Carey and Sammy Davis and so many others. I actually had, you know, you've, you've got a weird Forrest Gump kind of couple of years here where you don't know where you're going to show up, right? I, I've had some of those experiences where I was at the Indy 500 once with, I think, all of the Living Medal of Honor recipients, or many of them, you know, on the track at Indy 500 and got to be around Sammy and some of these other guys that are legends, but also just great humans, right? But have gone through this really unique experience, like a, a totally elite experience or a unique experience, like going into space, like no one can can relate to what it's like unless you've gone into space, right? You just don't know what it's like. And I, and I got to imagine that receiving the medal is similar. And Bob Carey, you know, I think was the guy who said to me, remember that every time they tell the story, it hurts. Like they're, they're sacrificing to some extent. They're telling you often about what might be one of the worst days of their life. And maybe they're telling it for others, but it is, I think every time you tell the story, it's a service and it, and it does help others, but it's also... You know, it, it's in many ways the award nobody wants to get, right? Oh. Because it, it, it is uh, such a tremendous weight to carry. But you've carried it with such dignity, in part because you, you got it after you've been home for a while. Oh, absolutely. You, you and I were kind of uh, Iraq vet 1.0. That's right. Right, we were like invasion phase, came home. Now you've got 3.0, 4.0, folks have gone back over and over again. We were kind of the first wave of veterans to come home and enter the political conversation, the social conversation, the media conversation. But if, if I can ask you, uh, for folks who haven't heard the story from you, what do you want them to know about the story? I want them to know that uh, combat is everything Hollywood has told us and everything the veterans have told us. Um, but there is absolute love on the battlefield. We fight because we love. And, um, you know, I just, I think of those guys, I think about what they did for me. Um, it's, you, you boil it really down to why you, uh, why you every day go out there and do the things that you do for your, for your buddies, for your subordinates. Um, the pressure that's on young leaders you know, you, you talk about Sammy Davis and all these guys. As an infantryman, I memorized those citations. They were I'm I'm wearing this and meeting Sammy Davis. It's like meeting Iron Man. Right. It's like Sammy the Davis. Many say is like is actually the inspiration for Forrest Gump. Right. Well, been, Sammy so, Sammy Davis. In case people don't know, he basically made an inflatable raft, and he he took a mattress raft and put his buddies on it, and like suppressed a battalion of enemy with a rifle while 
inflating a raft. I mean, it's 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 like and a running MacGy- people back and, and forth running people back and forth to save yeah. lives. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's MacGyver and yes. it's just ridiculous. It should never happen. And then and my, his name's Sammy Davis, and his name's Sammy and Davis, and he's a white guy. And, and my first response <laughs> with to a southern that, accent. When right? I'm, I'm reading that story in basic training, thinking, why don't we have inflatable mattresses? This is so <laughs> these, these beds are so uncomfortable. But uh, no, he that guy's a stud. Uh, yeah. Jack, uh, all of them. Uh, Hershey, uh, Mayamura. My God, I mean that dude is a you know. And again, but you bring up that generation, and here's the thing: nobody talks about legacy until they're getting ready to die, right? So when you're in your 20s and 30s, what is your legacy? You think kids or job or whatever it is, but you know, this Vietnam generation, they protected us from a whole lot and they made sure, you know, every time I hear a World War II guy, you know, talk about the Vietnam generation, it's like, wait a minute, you would have nothing at the VA if it wasn't for the Vietnam guys. Right. I mean, the Vietnam guys literally have done everything <laughs> for every veteran that's today uh, before us and after us. So uh, it's an incredible generation, but they're totally different than we are. Right. And there's something to be said about the narcissism of us young, younger people. Mm. But that narcissism also allows you to look in the mirror and say, this is my purpose. This is my who I am. Right. And that generation is so new to the thanks and new to the appreciation that they're they're kind of new to this, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the seeing- being, they're they're kind of like reborn through us, right? Like they, when I was at the Veterans Day Parade a couple of years ago, there were Vietnam veterans who walked for the first time. Exactly. And they said they had never been welcomed. They didn't know what to do or how to display their Medal of Honor in the 70s, right? Like that was right. a very polarized, complicated time where people blamed the warriors for the war. And right. you might have to actually be worried for your safety if you wore a Medal of Honor around, right? Like You're, that, you're absolutely... And so Gary Biker and, and Jack Jacobs and... Um, you know, Joe Marm and, and, uh, Gary Latrell, all these guys have, um, they really only experienced general thanks and appreciation really since September 11th, you know, for 50 years they've had the award and it, it really didn't, uh, so, so my, my takeaway is I look at these young guys, these guys in Afghanistan, I'm the oldest of the GWAT recipients that are living. And I look at how they've handled it and every one of them, incredible pressure and there was no safety net. Sal Junta was just out there. The army didn't even support him. We talked about this earlier when he, he was, I think the first living medal of yeah. honor recipient post nine 11. He was working, I think in subway like five years before that joined the army, received the medal of honor comes home. And then he's standing at, you know, the 50 yard line of the super bowl. Right. I mean, he's on this trajectory. That's almost like when you, I hate to say like hit a lottery or win an Oscar or something. I don't know how to compare it, but overnight, you go from being an average person to someone whose life will never be the same again. And on a stratospheric level where I remember Sal sitting down with, you know, every late night talk show host and, you know, it's gotta be a surreal experience, especially in the social media generation. And also Dave, like the, the, the Vietnam vets and the world war two vets are, are, we're losing them quickly. Yeah. So there's going to be a unique burden on you guys, and they're all guys right now. Maybe there'll be a woman at some point in the future. A couple, there are a dozen of you. Like those guys will all pass. That's and right. Then they'll only be like a very select, almost knights of the round table. Well, they, but here's the other thing: you've got 18 years of conflict, America. I don't care who you elect president. We're not going to sustain contact again. We're we're not going to move 200,000 troops in an area that we're going to have to own. I think the the America's now waking up to what the future warfare looks like. You're not going to have a USS Missouri 
press conference and, and you hand someone a sword. You're, if you go to war, it is going to be a 50-year occupation. So think about that before you, you, you start going down the list of countries you want to throw against the wall because it, it's different. It's totally different now. But as you said, to me, when you talk about Sal and all these other guys, it's a testament to that guy. I mean, because Sal Gianta is, you know, bore all that burden himself. Today, the Army has totally redone everything. They send a team of 12 generals to your house. They walk you through public relations and how to talk and how to think. And, you know, they are much more protective of the recipient today than they were when the other guys got it. And the other phenomenon that's a little bit weird is when you start awarding two guys for the same fight. Mm. And that's a really unfair burden to put on a unit because, you know, now you're essentially saying, well, this guy did this and this guy did something very similar, but here's his award. It's not fair to either one of those guys. There's, there's got to be a way that we can, you know, I think do this process better so that all the branches, quite frankly, are in the room. Right. I mean, what, what happened to Brian Chapman, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but he's an Air Force guy. And, and I think people look at Air Force, they, they don't understand how many different jobs are in the Air Force. Or the other thing is those combat control guys they are in the fight every single day they're getting shot at. There's incredible stories of Air Force guys doing good things. Uh, but, you know, you look at these SEALs, if they, they can't get an award because now they can't operate, you know. It can't be recognized publicly. Right. It compromises their, their, so, their identity, but am basically. I, but am I supposed to say that a Navy SEAL who kills, you know, 10 guys in a house fight is what? He's supposed to do that because he's a Navy SEAL. Right. So what do you say when a, you know, if an infantryman makes a cake during a firefight, right, you know, right, like, right. well, hey, that's right. amazing. I, th I think uh, somebody, maybe it was Bing West or someone said that in a Medal of Honor, um, something extraordinary has to happen. Someone has to see it and someone has to write about it. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 yeah, if, yeah. and if the story isn't told, the, the medal usually doesn't happen. And I think... It was our friend, I don't know if you know that, Michael Ware. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who I've known for a long time, who's a wild man, but an incredibly courageous reporter. I hope he'll join me on this show. But if you, you may remember Michael Ware from CNN during the early days of the Iraq War. Now, he was, I think, one of the people who first told your story, right? I, I, don't, I don't know the role of, you know, I don't have evidence of anything because, quite frankly, they don't, tell you, they don't show you your packet. Hmm. So you don't even know who the sworn statements were. You don't know anything. The packet that is submitted on your behalf. Right. Nor have, you, have I ever been formally interviewed about the story. <laughs> I, 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 the Army has never taken me down and said, what happened? Really? Yeah. They, they went to everyone else and said, what did you see? Don't, don't tell me what happened. Tell me what you saw. Like if you heard gunfire, and the, and, but you were outside, they don't care. Hmm. Who did? What did you see? So, can you tell the story as much as you're comfortable? If you're comfortable, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as as you would like it to be told, right? I, I we mean, we were um, uh, so so my my story of my unit was two two infantry. Uh, we were out of Germany, and we were the first ID, and we were long considered to be just a peacekeeping division. I mean, the 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 days of the of the Normandy beaches were long gone. I mean, Bosnia, Kosovo, nothing was happening there. And, and when I got to Iraq, I was just like, I don't even think we're going to get a combat infantryman's badge. I, we, there were talk that we wouldn't even get a combat patch, you know? And so we got there. Everyone's kind to us. Uh, Diala province had, is right on the Iranian border. Did not see a lot of 
uh, you know, American soldiers. So they were kind of new to this invasion thing, but it was contact was few and far between and it wasn't real, uh, you know, a guy here or there. But man, Abu Ghraib happened. And that started the, the Easter uprising in 2004. Now you've got Muqtada al-Sadr, you've got the Mahdi militia, and then Al-Qaeda takes over in Anbar. And it just seemed like a perfect storm of everything was falling apart. And because we had a Bradley fighting vehicle, in an urban fight, it was the most conducive way to get troops in and out. And that 25 millimeters is awesome. So, so we, we go to Najaf and then a, a, a company is sliced out to Mosul and then we get the Fallujah fight. And, and really, you know, the Fallujah fight took forever to kick off because Bush and Kerry were going at it. And so we had to right. wait for the election. And the city was surrounded. Right. So, and it was kind of waiting for the political okay. Right. right? And, and, and again, we lost the city. We gave our equipment over to the, what we thought was a, a friendly element of Fallujah. They took it. So it was just, you know, information operations was really the, the key during that era. Fallujah kicks off. We get through the city without a problem on our breach. Our engineers blow it up. The Marine Corps gets stymied. So imagine tens, you know, thousands of American troops lined up, ready to blow a bugle and head over the berm. And they got one entryway. So it, it took like two days for everyone to get into their combat position and attack and in that time, you know, we're doing our thing, which is supporting the Marine Corps. That that was their fight. We were just two seven on one flank, two two on the other, uh, and a bunch of tanks. And we were the only thing in town. And that just brought everyone to that section. And so for like five days, it was it was pretty hairy. But it, then uh, you know it became hairy for everyone else in, in Fallujah. But we we locked in a bunch of guys in a city block. My sergeant major is killed on day one, which was like emotionally debilitating. That's like you're the principal of your high school dying, you know? And then uh, my company commander is killed. And then my XO is killed. And it's like lieutenants, ROTC kids, branch transfer. You know, guy that's in a county, now infantry, he's running a company. You know, he's running a, a, a you know, a, a working, uh, doing things he never thought he was going to be able to do. A lot of stress on those young LTs. Um, but we get into this building and we're looking for these guys. The Bradleys locked them in, 8 to 10. And of course, you know, we walk in, it's an ambush. And then it's just a matter of what do you know and what can you actually do? You know, the reason why vets make great finance guys i mean wall street is full of veterans yeah we don't need a hundred percent you give us you give us look i know what you could do and i know what i can do i don't know anything about what's on the other side of that wall but i know you and i know what you can do and i know what i can do let's let's roll the dice right yeah. i think between you yeah. and me we could figure out whatever's right. on the other side right in the real world you got to have a hundred percent don't waste a dime unless you know a hundred percent you never get that in the army You'll never mm. get that. And in this case, I just, Paul, I could tell you, honest to God, if I did something similar to that uh, 99 times, I'd probably get, you know, killed 97. It, you, you know, you talk about what the basis of Valor Wards, a lot of it is really shitty situational awareness. I mean, really, like not knowing Paul Ray Smith knocks a wall down and there's a battalion of enemy right there. Now, Someone should have told that unit that they were on the other side, right? What does he do? It, it's not that, oh my God, we're all screwed. It's, 
I'm going to shoot him until I can't breathe anymore. And that's why Paul Ray Smith is an American icon because he made that decision knowing he was going to die. A lot of times you just don't know what the hell you're doing. Mm. And, and Paul, it's dark. You're shooting at targets. You know, I don't want to sound like a, you know, every terrorist looks the same, but in a dark area, when people are shooting AKs, you don't really don't know if it's a different person or the same person. Am, am I hitting people? You know, it's not like in Hollywood where you shoot a person and they just drop. Right. You know, they will fight with every ounce of life they have. And so would you, by the way. You would do the exact same thing. So it's just, you. the first time I got shot at, I remember thinking, man, Spielberg. Just, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. You, <laughs> you know? wanted to call Steven Spielberg yeah, and say, blows it up. doesn't look like that. You yeah. shoot a car, yeah. it doesn't blow up. Yeah, it's not American Sniper where you see down the barrel and you watch the round cut through the town right, and right, hit the target. Right. It's just kind of noise and chaos everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And, and a yeah. grenade isn't fire. Right. And, and uh, you know, an AT4 doesn't blow anything up. Right. You know, it's a flaming pencil, you know? It's what it is. A flaming pencil. That, you that's know, so, great. Yeah. So my thing is, is that like... I, so much of the combat experience, I was really un unimpressed. So you did not, bottom line is, you did not know what you were going into. I, oh, yeah. That, and, I didn't and, know what I was you, going into, and and I just kept going until my luck ran out. And honestly, uh, the smells and the propane and the explosives really changed that entire fight for me because I don't know anything about propane, and I don't know anything about explosives. And when I'm smelling natural and there, gas- the, Correct me if I'm recounting this wrong. There, there were propane tanks in a room. Oh, they, they're all lined and, up, and there's C4 and everything else lined up, and, and you're starting- Lined up to explode because they're rigging it to blow. Right, a building contained IED. And the thing is that you know now you're shooting and missing. Am I hitting a tank? What's that do? You know, right. I, I, am I going to blow myself up inadvertently just but by- you knew there were propane tanks in the room. Yes, tripping over- And you over. knew that if you shot the wrong direction, you might hit one and everybody goes. I was smelling a really pungent uh, natural gas smell that was really- It was actually almost, you know, making me lightheaded. It was so strong. And simultaneously trying to take out an unknown number of enemy. Right. And in, you don't know who you're in and how many and, and what's going on. So my, my goal at that point was just to soften them up, get them to run out of the house, get the guys to shoot them. And, and at some point, I just realized, well, maybe I'll rile them up and get them on one level of the house. And then I'll just get near the, you know, because once you don't, you know, once you're running around, you could very well get shot by your own. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm worried more about getting popped. And then, of course, now it's a bomb's coming in. The bomb that we called hours before, so this would never happen, is now ready to be dropped. So now the clock is ticking. You know, is the bomb going to kill us? What we're going to do? Um, you know, so it was it was really stressful. And in those moments, Dave, is it your training? Is it your upbringing? Is it muscle memory? It's just you know, what? How did you get through that? Or what? Or in what way did you get through that? I just thought about. I had a four year old boy, and I just thought, you know, I hope to God if my kid ever is in harm's way that someone cares enough as much about him as I do. And so I just kept thinking of those, those soldiers and just thinking, you know, could you imagine being the leader that has to hand a, a folded flag to a parent? And you were like, well, and I was there, <laughs> I could have done something, but you know, it just didn't work out that way. You know, um, I just felt a huge obligation. It was like a life changing obligation that I had to, I had to love them like they were mine. And, and that meant just making sure that they weren't scared or hurt or anything else. And, um, cause God, when I needed them, they were there. 
and they they just they were just they saved my life they they did things i didn't have the strength to do they they did things i wasn't brave enough to do mm. it was it was our family you are monday i'm tuesday right, <laughs> right. that's how we do it right. and if if it's monday paul guess what you're doing it right but it comes i, I think it's it's really in um enlightening for folks to hear you talk about it in that way Dave, because it's uh from the outside people can think it's about anger or it's about hate or it's about politics oh no but i've tried it's it. about it's about love oh, it right? is. it's about it, the love for the person next to you it's about country. the love for something else it's about the realization of what's in front of you and your situation is nothing i can even relate to but you hear that constant theme whether you're a medal of honor recipient or you were in you know the chow hall just doing your job like everybody does it from a sense of love and obligation to each other and to something bigger, right? In the end of the day, it's not about politics. It's not about any president. It's about those men and women to the left and the right of you, right? And that's why you have been credited with this valor because you did it for others. And I think anyone who knows you can see that who you are. And in that moment, you became the best of who you are. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's kind. That's awesome. But uh, again, I... I, this is our generation's award. I try to give it to, to let people hold it as much as I can because, A, it's it's easy for me yeah. <laughs> to do it. And the second thing is is that I just think um, I just think Iraq is one of those fights where, uh, man, you just you're realizing over time that things this is really this is really bad. Mm. And, and and how are we going to deal with this in 20 years? That neighboring kid, did you ever think? About your forty-four-year-old self, no, and we're the same age. Right, we're forty-four. So you're you're the oldest of the, uh, of the next generation. That's right. At yeah. forty-four. At forty-four. And when you were in Iraq for this day, you were twenty-nine. 29. It was my birthday. It was right? my twenty-nine. And then, but what you, were you? You, you were like twenty-five. We, we were the same age. Yeah, I think basically. Yeah, yeah I think I was twenty-three, twenty-four when were, I was there. Were you, were you thinking about this time of your life? No, not at all, right? Like, I never thought I was going to be 40 when I got married, which I was, right? And had kids when I was 41. We were talking about this on the way up. I want my next book to be Old Dad, This Shit's Hard. <laughs> because, like, being, I never envisioned Breaking being down. so old. But, right. uh, but I don't think I envisioned any of it. And when my book came out around the same time I think your book came out, right? People, when we were going through the publishing process, they said, oh, you know, what if the war ends before the book comes out? Nobody's going to be interested, right. right? And I would say, you know, this is not going to end. And even if it does, it's, it's a historical account, or at least my personal account of my time that was there. And everybody, I think, has a, has a book in them. But you, you come home. Um, you, well, let, you, let me just ahead, say, please, though, please. Chasing Ghosts. Yeah. Don't, one of the, no, yeah, no. Go ahead. One of the things about that book that really changed the, the memoir market was that you were basically making predictions of how bad the war was going to be as the war was really getting bad. That's what I want. I mean, and, when, and when so, I came home, I was basically like, hey, this shit's fucked up right. and it's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse. And so now, and, so now yeah. what's happening is all these publishers are saying, if you're going to do a, a book, yeah. you've got to have a political point of view as well. Well, yeah. And they were worried, you know, what if you're wrong? I remember, you know, you know, I've been very critical of, of President Bush and I was critical of President Bush in the book. And the publishers literally said to me, what if everyone turns around and loves Bush by the time this book comes out? <laughs> I was like, well, it's still the same book. Like I'm telling my story and I still think that, you know, George Bush had better be fucking right was the opening line of my book because he was rolling the dice, right? And, and rolling us into this situation. And I never thought we would not find weapons of mass destruction. 
right? You talked about it earlier. Like we kicked in a lot of doors looking for weapons of mass oh, destruction, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And I never thought we wouldn't find them. I was like, shit, somebody's going to put them somewhere. Right. They're in Syria. Because there's no They're way we're going to send right. all these people overseas and not find anything. There's going to be right? a lockbox. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't have predicted. But I, I, I guess like, you know, we all kind of had the ability to be like the Tony Romo. We knew the playbook. We could see what was happening when I came home. And when you came home, we were the first veterans on TV. We were the first veterans writing books. We were the f- there was a string of books that first came from journalists. Right. Then they Their came, embedded experience. Then they came from generals. Exactly. Then they came from us. That's right. We were this wave of, of like, and really those are the most important ones, right? If you go back to Tim O'Brien and things they carried and so many others, the really good, I would argue most important books are the ones who are from that perspective on the ground at the intersection between experience, personal story, politics and so you come home and you uh you write a book right you get involved in politics and philanthropy oh, I, I, and I jumped all in kinds I, of- I thought that i was defending the 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 memory of my friends and and i made the biggest mistake you can make in politics is i took everything personally mm. i got super emotional i got super tied into it so when you were attacking my fight you were attacking the legacy of guys who gave up their tomorrows will never have kids will never have Christmas. And I, you know, I was so miserable. You probably go, go through this too. You're, you're hanging out. It's Christmas day and the babies are unwrapped presents. So you're having a great dinner uh, with friends, being with people you care about. And all you think about is happy, happy, happy. And then you're like, I wonder what uh, Carlos Rivera's, parents are doing right now mm. i wonder what you know how's christmas for you know the falkenberg family after there and it just it just you just find that you're just de- literally imploding your entire what you we validated each other every day mm. and we come home we don't have that validation that political fight for me in 2006 7 and 8 that was like a new platoon mm. and we were going up against the bad guys but the bad guys were our own people. Mm. I and think it, it's really, and it, it's it, it really, makes really me important. so yeah. sa- it makes me so sad to have not had the wisdom at that point to be able to walk across to my liberal friends and say, "We disagree about the war, mm-hmm. but let's go." Like, t- how are you doing? Yeah, are you yeah. all right? Well, you, 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 and I think always had a personal connection, even if we disagreed about the war at that time. But I think oh, you tell you mentioned the Christmas thing, and. Your your way of describing uh, the sergeant major as as the principal is so right. Like we lost command sergeant major Cook on Christmas Eve, mm. and it was like that. It was like losing the principal. So I think about him on Christmas Eve. Right? I remember Christmas in Baghdad, and that always sinks into my it, sne- it sneaks into my brain. And I think we all do it, and it makes you know it makes us a little bit sad, and it makes the whiskey a little bit sweeter, right? There was one bottle of whiskey that my father somehow sent over that was Maker's Mark, and on Christmas Eve, after Sergeant Major Cook was killed, I think I wrote about this in yeah. the book, we had one bottle that went around that room, and that's what I think I, I often remember too is how generous everyone was, how kind everyone was. People get this idea that you know soldiers are all you know grunts and and, and want to kill shit and all that. And that, you know, part of that is part of the training and part of it's true, but they're also the most generous human beings I've ever seen. If there's one piece of food left on the table, they'll split it nine ways. If there's one cigarette, it'll go around the entire room. It, it, you know, right? the, the, when, when I saw like the Iraq vets against the war and the, you know, some of the more, the, it was, IAVA was the first group. And then there was a political faction of that. And that's where vets of freedom came 
you know, out of vote vets, vets for freedom clashes. And then you had people that even more, you know, found another position on the, on the, on the political plane there of where they stood. And, and it just became like, why, why is it McCain and Obama on Chris Matthews? It became a proxy war. It absolutely And it also kind of became like Baghdad. The things the McCain campaign didn't want to say, they allowed a PFC machine gunner to say. And the things the Obama administration or the Obama campaign didn't want to put out there, they let John Soltz do. Right, right. And then that's the proxy war that developed, especially between Vets for Freedom and, and Vote Vets left and right. And then IAVA, you know, tried to, 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 to go above it as best we could and, and remain nonpartisan. But in that atmosphere, everything was viewed as partisan. Everything was viewed as political. So for me, you know, it was, it was, it was the evolution of this second fight, right? We had the fight in Iraq and then we came home. And, and what I think we all have learned a lesson about was how the political machines and the politicians turned us against each other. Yeah. And I think almost always, if you go back and look, I told hardball and others, I was like, I'm not going on against another. You vet. didn't. I was you, like, I'm you, not, you I'm not going I'll on against another. Vet. There might've been a couple exceptions like early. Um, but I said, I'm not going on to fight with somebody. And I said, you're not going to put me in a box. Right. And by putting me in a box and putting Dave in a box or right. putting Pete Hegseth in a box, right. you know, you're creating this false simplification that we're on opposite sides. And I'm not playing that fucking game. And now listen, like, I, in, I, I in, love, in, I love Hegseth. I've known that guy. We, we went, he embraced it. Yeah. Well, that's some, his thing. And, yeah. and I, I don't take yeah. anything away from and that. And so, and so did Saltz. I mean, you know, there, there's, the, the, they were, they're political yeah, animals. Yeah. But, but I, there was a time when I thought like, you know, um, this award has changed everything. I, I have, I went from thinking, you know, what do you do with the medal of honor? If you're 23, you, you, you go date a model or you, <laughs> you know what I mean? You get, and then it's like, well, you're going to go to a defense contractor or you're going to sell late night sunglasses, mm-hmm. you know, with, mm-hmm. with other people that have done things kinetically or something. And I thought, you know, what if we just like the new thing was, you get the Medal of Honor and you're alive and you go right back to the army. Mm-hmm. You, you go to the, 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 the outfit, the organization, the family. Petri, I think it's some of the other guys went back on yeah. active duty, right? Well, I'm, I'm yeah. just saying not yeah. necessarily active duty, but just, just going and supporting them. Yeah. Everything is, yeah. is back. Leroy does it. Every, guy, everyone's doing it now. Yeah. I think it's a, that's something our generation is going to be different than the Vietnam guys. I want to let you take a breath um, because I know this is intense, but also there, there's kind of a funny side of this. When we came in, you said it's kind of like carrying around the Stanley cup. That's right. Yeah. Right? Everyone gets a day with it. I mean, yeah. you know, you, uh, do you have insurance on it or does the government have insurance on it? That's a true what? story. <laughs> so here's what happened. I go, I go and, and uh, uh, my, somehow my homeowners, uh, I wanted to get a policy in case, someone broke into the house and took the Medal of Honor. An umbrella policy. So I got one for my wife's engagement ring. They said, <laughs> okay. So they said, listen, we got we to gotta get a price on it, but if it's over a certain amount, you're going to have to get a safe. Okay. If it's over a certain amount, you're going to have to have a camera just to reduce the liability. They went to price it. No one will give them a price. It's, it's kind of like you know, when President Trump says his, you know, his uh, brand is worth $7 billion. <laughs> Right. Like, how do you, you know, right. I, I, prove it? Right. You know, like, what do you right. know? Right. I don't know. So everyone says, you know, 250, 250, the Medal of Honor is a $250,000 value because it's one of a kind Hmm. and it represents one thing, whatever. I got it appraised. It's $26.99 to replace it. 
Get the fuck out of here. That, to replace, <laughs> so if I went to Afe's, it's $26.99, and your homeowner's going to be like, it's $26.99. That's ridiculous. Buddy. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Fun. That has to be adjusted. Can I ask you, one of the things that folks have never seen is what's on the back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't, I'm, you know, I'm reluctant no, to even pick it up, but no, can ahead. you, can you tell, so on the back is- It's just your name, the date, your unit, where it happened. So it's, it's Steph Sarden, David G. Bellavia, right? Mm -hmm. And what's the G stand for? Gregory. And then it says Company A, Task Force 2-2, and then is it uh, First Infantry Division? Yes. Operation Iraqi Freedom, 10 November 2004. Yeah. Man, one day from, from Veterans Day. Yeah, that's my birthday. Oh. Uh, so that's your birthday that's my on the birth back. Yeah, Not yeah. the day of, of the operation. The day of the day event was my birthday. It was your birthday. Yeah. I did was, not know that. That was the one thing in the back of my head was like, you know, I used to go in a cemetery and see like born and died on the same day. Yeah. And I thought like, you know, if I could just get to midnight, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just change this so that my parents don't have to think of that day as such a horrible day. And you know? Veterans Day is the day yeah. after. And yeah. Marine Corps birthday is right around that time. Right. So you got, that's a that's a busy time for you. And then time, on the right. bottom, I asked you this, and you see, it says Graco G1. Maybe that's the company that makes them? It has to be. We got to talk, you know to, that, we gotta guys, talk to that company because they're worth guys, more than $26. These guys go to, <laughs> these guys go to bowling uh, trophy guys and make facsimiles of it. Really? And then take the original, put it in a, Safety so, that is the original. I only have one and that's it. So I gotta I gotta ask you, um, what was it like when you got the call? You know, what Paul, how, how did that how did you find out? Paul, I swear to God, I thought I was I was in trouble. <clears throat> I thought they were doing an investigation that someone said something and I was going I was in trouble. And so I called an attorney and I was like, Hey, I got a crazy so you call. You got a call from the army. Where, got, who'd you get a call from? I got a call from uh, a person who was connected to G1 personnel, uh, but there were there were just questions about, are you, is this true? Did you do so Cell phone rings, major they so called my so work. Okay. They called my, my work and uh, and left a message, but I, I got back to them and they're like, I can't tell you anything. You got to talk to this person. Uh, so you wait, you talk to a colonel. Colonel tells you to senior member of the DOD needs to talk to you. Asked a bunch of questions that were like really super specific about special pieces of whatever. Uh, you confirm, you deny, you do whatever. So I called an attorney and said, look, I just find out what's going on. He's like, you're either going to be an ambassador to a country or you're going to jail for the rest <laughs> of your life. And they're going to extradite you to like, you know, you're going to Camp X-Ray, you know. Like, you're living in Buffalo? I'm living time? in Buffalo. And I'm you doing working, my thing. Well, we, I was doing, I'm doing a radio show. Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing, you know, my standard... Uh, uh, conservative radio talk, cat decline, a little bit of controversial yep. <laughs> drive time talk of Buffalo. And, and, and this stuff just keeps happening and happening. And so I, I get a phone call. This important person in DOD is going to call me and like they, the, they blow me off. And I, I, it happened like four times. Keep getting blown off. And I'm thinking, but every time something weird happens, like Mattis resigns or, you know. You've been a very vocal supporter of, of President Trump. I, well, I'm a conservative. Right. right. So, and so it's not outside the realm of possibility you would be appointed to some position somewhere. Well, it is. Me, is it? it is. Is it? You know, but if they're appointing <laughs> me, I'd say it's well. I don't, I don't think Trump's calling me to make, uh, make me the best or anything you, unless he got, wants me to get the you, hell out of here. You got the UMass, uh, you've got all that stuff in your, in your resume. Uh, I wasn't thinking anything. I was okay. just thinking, you know, maybe it's Secretary of the Army. Right. And maybe they upgraded the Silver Star. Okay. I right. get a letter in the mail. Because at the time you had had, uh, was it a Bronze Star for Valor for the- for, for No, I, I just it had was... a Bronze Star for Service, which okay. is, you know, lifetime but that incident had been- Silver Star. Recognized with a Silver Star at right. the time. So the question, 
was always, would they upgrade? Would they upgrade it? And I get a letter saying that my silver star is rescinded. And I was like, whoa, what is happening? You know, is this because of the award? Is this, you know, because of the charges? you said on radio. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening here? And uh, I I get a phone call and and they said, hey, the phone call is going to happen at 2 p.m. Pick up. And it's the president of the United States. And then you're thinking someone's messing with you. Right. It's Alec Baldwin. It's, you know, some, <laughs> some, some dude's just messing with you. And it was him. And I was just, I freaked out. You know, I was just blown away by it. And then, um, I, you know, the, the, the real thing is I can't tell anyone. And how do you keep this out of the media? How do you, you know, just live your life but still freak out? And I just started talking to all these guys I haven't talked to in 15 years. And it was like so cathartic to just be able to you know when you're 25 you don't tell a man you love him you know but at 44 i'm not gonna i if i love you i'm gonna tell you i love you you know and and it's just a different world and so i just got to be with these guys again and it it just felt so warm and then all of a sudden you're you know people want a piece and they want you know you to go to every event and every memorial and you become a mascot it's like when you put that on it's almost like a you're putting on like a Batman uniform. It's right. Not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not. That's very not much. You. If you were walking around, you know, in Buffalo or in the city, people didn't know who you are. No you're, one. you're a normal dude. You put that on, and it's Superman cape. And that's with a radio show. Yes. So just to show you the effect of the radio show, no one knew who the hell I was. Um, but no, it just is weird. It's so weird. what did what did Trump say when he called? Do you remember what he said? Um, I was just trying not to say or that. Where F-word. you were standing when you got the call? Uh, yeah, I was at the radio station. Um, and uh, we were just hanging out and and getting ready for this phone call. Not really sure it was Trump, not knowing what would happen. But at that point, it was like, who's that? Was well, Secretary of the Army's not that busy? Right. We play Navy one time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, but it ended up happening that it was him, and he just said, um, you know, he actually did the Woody Williams thing. the thing he got in trouble for Woody Williams. I wish I could give one to myself. Oh right! Please. He said so, that so, to me on the so phone. So he said he, he said to Woody Williams uh, when when it's the award, a cool award. It's yeah, a cool so, award. I wish I could give one to myself. Something like that. That that's his yeah. like funny that he's yeah. trying to be humorous. Yeah. when he does, and that. that's what he said to you. He said that to me. It was funny. I mean, he was like, you know, this is an awesome award as president. I'd like to give one to myself. But they said I'm not that brave, and that's literally what he said to like three other recipients. So it's not like I don't know. My my point is is that. <laughs> It was it was weird. The whole yeah, thing was yeah. weird. I'm talking to the president yeah. of the United States, and and the president's you know cracking a joke, and and then he gets really serious. And when he gets super serious, I start you know realizing that this is happening, and um, you know it just everything changes. You can't have an opinion anymore. It, I, I can't do a radio show with a Medal of Honor. It's like, you know, the Medal of Honor is against free trade. <laughs> the Medal of Honor. But you can. I mean, you know, well, Bob, you Bob Kerry ran for president, right? You know Bob what? Kerry ran as a, as a Democrat from Nebraska. I hope he'll join us on this show at some point in the future. Great he's man. Been, he's been a great dead. mentor to me. Uh, um, you know, you can absolutely, I'm, I'm going to tell you, like in, in many ways, you know, you absolutely can. And you're still an individual. And we need your voice more than ever. And what's frankly hard sometimes is to get candor out of Medal of Honor recipients because you've seen so much. Like, and especially now in the second phase of your, this next phase of your life, you've seen so many different sides of politics and this country and the world. You know, you guys, I've said it before, if, if America was a religion, veterans are the clergy. And in some ways, you know, the Medal of Honor recipients are like the samurai elite 
I mean, you all are the protector of the of the flame. What would you, you What know? would you do? Uh, do you see politics? Would you ever run? I well, this is a great question to to have with you because I was going to ask you that. I mean, I'm an I'm an independent, right? Like I really am, and I don't have a political home. And and for me, this is the path to continue to serve and continue to make noise and to fight for the issues I care about. And Congress fucking sucks, and being in politics really sucks. Uh, and I, it's not my path, man. I, I don't know where I would go in that way. And I, and I like New York City too much. I don't want to leave. I don't want to wear a fucking tie. But don't you There's think there's a lot though, of other shit that, you but, know. And in your most honest moment. Yeah. Don't you think, I thought veterans made the best politicians in the world. 100%, but maybe not this but, veteran. Right? No, no. But I got to like, tell you, I don't know if that's true anymore. I agree with you on that. I think, I that's, think, I think we're that's really, actually really bad politicians. We might be. I, I think, like, look, look, you know, veterans are not a monolith, right? There's some great veterans, there's some shitty veterans. Um, but you did run for Congress twice. I did. And I, but and, I, I'm, and so I'm saying that I believe Before that you got the medal. Before I got the medal. You, and now, just a couple of weeks ago, you announced you will not run. Yes. They ever, want you to run again. They were- You would probably win in the 27th Congressional District? 20, yeah. 27, upstate New York, outside of the Buffalo area. Right, right. Right? The, uh, the, 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 the uh, current occupant has now resigned- in scandal, we right, right, He's and so there's an open seat essentially coming up. Yeah, right. Is, am I getting it right? It would be a special election, and then it would be. Look, I, I, I'm confident that if if I chose to, I could hold that seat for 20 years. Right, because it's it's an R plus 12, mm-hmm. which is a very conservative area. Right, um, lock and step with the with the president, uh, conservative stuff, guns, all that stuff. You know. It, it, what about what about something else? What why, about? What, but why what? would you do it? Why are you doing it? You're 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 doing it because yeah. the award has somehow. No, but what about what about governor? What about I, governor? What about senate? You could run against Kirsten Gillibrand, or, like, or something like that in or New York. We right? can we can inspire you know uh, six thousand New Yorkers to join the military, mm. and we can put a whole new generation of cyber guys out there, so we don't have to bleed. Let, let me ask you a related question. You are close to the president, right? He, he praised you at the last Medal of Honor recipient he was uh, ceremony for uh, Williams, right? Right. And uh, called you out personally. Right. And what about going in the administration? Would you go work at the Department of Defense, go work in the White House, go do something like that, Dave? I, I just think the award is a holy thing. And if it, uh, I mean, I'm a conservative. I'm never going to change my ideology. This is who I am. I'm unapologetic about yeah. it. But the award can't be. Mm. The award can't be pro-life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. The award can't have a, a stance. I think that's a really noble way I'm of fracking. Fracking. The award would like to talk about hydraulic yeah. fracking. We could do a, a cartoon on like yeah. the actual award itself. Right. So let me right. let me ask you a question. I always ask of all folks, and thank you for taking us through this journey. I ask every every person I've ever interviewed, because um, you are a person who is shaping what this country is, what it has been, and what it will be going forward. David Belvia, what makes you angry? Uh fear when i get scared i i get really hostile it's like um i don't know what it is but it's it's a thing that that's my achilles heel you know yeah i think that's really honest yeah, yeah. and I, well, part of why we created the show is because i think anger is a real thing and we got to talk about it yeah and also you know can we turn that anger into positive outcomes right right and i think that's what you've been able to do right you know in this I evolution in yeah. this time with 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 the metal and re- related question, David Bellavia, what makes you happy? Uh, uh, purpose. Hmm. Now, knowing that this is what you're supposed to do. This, these are the people you're supposed to be with. 
Um, this is the life you're supposed to live. Um, you know, it's like I grew up watching wrestling and I, you know, the, the idea of pinning someone was the ultimate. And now I'm starting to realize that, you know, as I get older, that, uh, we argue because we want to dominate. We argue because we want to prove and we want to prove because we're insecure. Mm. Right. So I don't have to, I'm not insecure about what I believe. And if you want to be really loud about what you believe, I know what I know to be true. So I'm not at all. I don't need to bash you. I don't need to wrestle with you. I don't need to scream at you. Let's talk about what we agree on. You're a Giants fan. I like yeah. the Bills. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, are the Bills making you? The Bills are better than the Giants and the Jets right now. The Bills are kind of uh, making you happy. They make you happy and angry. I love the Bills <laughs> so much, but I got to tell you, some of the you got to be honest with yourself. It's this this schedule has been really kind. Yes. Yeah. This is not. This isn't a they team. Give me a little hope. I like. I root for the Bills. Well, I mean, I they're the best it. football team in New York right Only. now. Only. Well, yeah, true. Well, you got Army, and Army, unfortunately for us, sucks this year. Well, so that's true. They're not looking good that's against true. Navy coming up you yeah, know, in December. That's true. Army. Poor Army. Yeah, right. we're too focused on winning wars to There you go, to right? We get jokes for days. That's right. So let me ask, when you're growing up in Buffalo, this is the other question we ask of all our guests. David oh. Bellavia, what was your first car? I had a 1982 Grand Marquis. Ooh. Light blue, white leather, and it had a CB radio. My brother uh, purchased it. I got it from my brother. It was $2,000. And a, a cowboy had the car before us, and he wore a hat that wore away at the top of the uh, interior. Um, and so it had a hole right where the cowboy hat was. And it was just an absolute, it was a boat. You could get in a. I got in a car accident with it. I didn't even know I was in the car accident. You know, it's amazing. It's huge. I was in multiple car accidents with my first car. But I got to ask you. So you had a CB in the car. A CB radio. What was your CB handle? You know, I I, I just would listen. You I had to too, have a handle. I, I, You're I a radio too, guy. You didn't have a handle. I, I was too afraid to. I had uh, a CB in my house. Really? Yeah. Dude, who did you talk to? Anybody. <laughs> Anybody would that, listen. I would just though? be out there just trying to talk to people. But think like, about I this. thought it was like, I thought I was in some kind of movie, man. I was going to talk to aliens. I was out there talking to anybody. I would talk to truckers. Truckers, truckers would come by and they'd, they'd scoop them up. Yeah, yeah. Th that's the equivalent. My, that's the equivalent of unsupervised kids on 100 the internet. I mean, but that's like relatively harmless. Like, you know, mm. unless I tapped into NASA or something else. But I had, I had a, I thought what was a very cool handle at the time. I called myself what was it? Excalibur. No. Yeah. I was like 12 it. or I thought that Stop was a cool fucking name. So I'm Excalibur. calling myself Excalibur. When, when did you know you wanted to join? Join the army? Yeah. Always. It really? was like, yeah. It, for me, I've tried to describe it. It was like, um, people who, who've described they want to join, um, the seminary. Or something like that. Where I feel like it's and I and I felt like it was like that. My my grandfather was drafted. My father was drafted. Uh, on some levels, I felt like I had to do it, or I wasn't doing my part. I felt like I couldn't look my father and my grandfather in the eye. Right. And on some levels, I felt like I would be a freeloading piece of shit if I didn't do my part because I went to college. When my when I joined, my father was going to kill me. Right. I mean, he was like, you know, you. Wasted. You got a chance to play football. You got a chance to go to college and you want to go down south and roll around in, in the mud with a bunch of rednecks and play army. He's like, you don't have to do that shit. My grandfather, you know, your grandfather did it. I did it. You don't have to. Right. And I think they kind of saw it as an opportunity to break the cycle because we were an old school military family and that every family was military, right? Right. Like all my grandparents, the, the men on my grandmother's side all got drafted. 
So, you know, it was, it did, was an did, exception. Did your, did your Iraq experience change the way you look at the army? hundred percent. Yeah. All of it changed, right? It's always evolving, right? But it's what, like, what, what happened for you? And I, I'm not saying personally, but yeah. I'm saying what happened for you where you lost that passion? Would you, I, just, I never it, lost it. I mean, I love, you know, the army is, is kind of like a, a family member, right? Like you love things about it. You hate things about it. Right. <laughs> right. Like, you know, it, 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 that's the familiarity and you know it, right. That, that's the difference about joining is you know it. Right? Yeah, and I've yeah, said yeah. before that there's, Good point. there's only two things that I don't think you can ever understand unless you've experienced them. It's combat and parenthood. You can talk right. about it. You can say you understand it. But until that baby's in your hands, I would add kidney stones to that. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> put that in there too. <laughs> no, that's it's great. true. That's, that's true. true. But I got—I got to ask you, man, because yeah, yeah. now you—this is a show that's largely for independents mm. and for unaffiliated, for people who don't have a party. Especially right now, you know, you've talked a lot about honor and integrity, and there's a—I think—a crisis going on in the Republican Party. What is the party going to be? And you have an opportunity, and whether you like it or not, you're going to be a face of the Republican Party. So I asked this of Democrats, and I'm going to ask this of other Republicans on this show, because I'm, you know, a political jump ball. So I mean, why are you a Republican? Well, I, there's a lot of reasons why I'm a Republican, and I, I would tell you the same reason. You know, it starts off when your your parents are one thing. You know, you either want to be the opposite of them, or you want to be just like them. So you know, you're the way you look at the world is always shaped by the way you were raised. And I was raised by very religious, uh, conservative people. And um, there's a lot of uh, of 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 peace in, in in the idea that I control my own destiny. That really at the forefront of conservative politics is you know we don't believe you, right? We don't believe anything. You prove it, right? I you know you say you're not going to break into my house. I'm still going to lock the door, and I, and I'm st and just in case you get through that, we're, you know there's there's a in order to truly appreciate liberty, there has to be a, a paranoia about protecting it. Now, when it goes too far, it's radical and it's crazy. And just like on the left, that is the way we should all live in a utopia where everyone is, is going to be treated the same and everyone has the same opportunity and everyone will take advantage of it and there won't be anyone that will exploit it. That's heaven. I believe that that's what I'm going to see when I meet Jesus is that I will see a liberal's utopia. I don't disrespect that. And I don't want to fight. I don't want to stop to fight to get to that, mm. but it's not real and it's never going to happen. Mm. And as soldiers, we found out that all those stories and all that training is great, but that's not real either. Cause as soon as you get fired at rank is ceremonial mm. and you're just out there hooking and jabbing, trying to stay in the fight. So a lot of it, I'm just saying that, I'm I'm proud of of what I believe and I'm proud of of but I, my party I don't want it to be I don't want to be identified by my party I want to be identified by my army I want to be identified by my generation and my peers That's powerful but that yeah. makes me ask you then why be in a party Right cuz you you you're exactly the type of guy that could transcend party Liberal right? to, uh, I'm not saying be a democrat No no I I'm understand. saying what you said I'm the party of the army you know, there's there's a rising. What we've seen in the veterans community, especially the fastest growing percentage is unaffiliated and independents. Right. And if there was the veterans party tomorrow, right, and we had you and Westmore, right, guys who are on different sides politically, different issues, but you have this same sense of cohesion, right. of honor, of integrity, of, of of country over party. I think a lot of people would get behind you. Right, but, but I, I think though that you, when you you know I meet uh, libertarians all the time, and I, I tell them. 
I fear libertarians more than I feel fear liberals. Why? I just think libertarians are a danger to the republic. <laughs> no, I really do. I, 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 I love them. They're, they're brilliant. They're always thinking. They're always reading, right? The reality is that um, there's always a reason why someone doesn't want to identify as something, mm. right? You could be a pro-choice Republican that is just so passionate about abortion that you're just like, screw the party. Yeah. I'm a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, Blue, Blue Hawk, uh, the, the Blue Dog Democrat did not die. They just stopped talking about it in public. Mm. They're still out there right. and, and they still exist. But honestly, the, the, uh, the third, you, you got to have four parties to be real. And you can't just third party it. You can't just independent, uh, independent it. All you're going to do is you're going to screw up an election, you know, and, and. Or save the Republic. <laughs> save the Republic in the set. If we were parliamentary. Like the, par the parties are, in, in if my we view. If we were a parliamentary in, system, yes. Like in, in my view, like, let me just give you an example. I think a lot of folks listening to you today believe in you yeah. and support you. And if, if you stand alone or running for office, you'll probably do better, especially in New York, than if you run as a Republican. And maybe in your district, if you run as a Democrat. Right. Like, I think you have a unique ability but what if, to what transcend if, party. And that's part of what I'm, I, I think on some levels, being an independent is kind of like being a libertarian. It's a little hard because you always have to defend it. It's a harder path. Oh, it is. Right? Libertarians constantly have to not only explain why they're libertarians, they have to explain what it means to be libertarian. Like they're like, right? se yeah, they're Seventh-day Adventists. <laughs> yes, yes, they're constantly yes, explaining yes, why they're yes. different, but, but I got to ask you this, this related question too, Dave. You have been a very public supporter of Trump, right, for a long time and, and now. As a military person at a time where there have been so many issues, the most recently... Um, the the criticism of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. But before that, let's talk about the easiest ones. John John McCain, right? Right. right. Or or the Khan family. Or Khan was I, in my unit, by the way. I, Captain Khan was in two infantry. So he that, I, I knew the man. So I, I'm not uh I'm not gonna reflexively um But 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 uh, the but but what I would view and I think many would view as crossing a line. Listen, right? there is no doubt at all. I mean, here's the thing that, that just, I am just, I don't deal, I don't stick up for like the, the total BS, right? Yeah. There is not a person out there that is shocked by anything President Donald Trump says. I mean, it's absurd. At I'm shocked point, sometimes. Oh, come on. I'm shocked sometimes. No one's shocked. I'm shocked sometimes. He could, he could literally just record himself going, they're, they're going the best. No one would care at this point. Donald Trump knows exactly what he's doing on Twitter. 100%. That, and, and is it presidential? A lot of people thought Obama wasn't presidential when he sent emails. 100%. So, so I'm this, not going to be the guy who defends I'm Hillary saying, or defends Obama. I'm, I'm saying, just saying that, that, that the Democrats are going to uh, select a candidate and the, the Republicans have Donald Trump. There are a lot of things that I would make the argument that whether or not you're 100% with the president or his policies or believe in the man, the people he pisses off are people that have never been touched in our spectrum. That's true. Ever. Sometimes gold star families. Well, <laughs> but understand though, a gold star family that is so offended that they take their outrage to the democratic committee is a little bit, I guess to the, me, the, here's the thing. The, qu the question I think Dave is, is he, can he do it in a way that is, I dare I say more respectful? More you civil, it, more it, civil, it, it, right? It, it, more honorable. I, 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 we can all be more honorable. Right. Absolutely right, be right. more honorable. Right. Well, again, what I'm saying though, is that this is not a shock. 
Well, right. you you can report on it and yeah. say it's disgusting. It doesn't make it okay. No, but to me, it's like talking about the smell emanating from the restroom. You know, well, it's so horrible. I want to ask you. I about, agree. Let me, what let me, are you going to do? Let me ask about you about it? a specific issue. Yes, right. Yeah. The most unpopular move I've ever seen him make with regard to the military was abandoning the Kurds. Oh, stop! No, it really was. No, I mean, Paul, bipartisan. Like, Paul, I don't think I again. Listen, maybe, maybe there are some. <laughs> do you think I want to ask you? Again, I don't. Conversation, I think it, I, do you think? Do you support that move? I I listen. I, I and, think, and 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 what do you think about? It? I'm asking you to. And if you don't want to talk about, it, we don't. Have to talk oh no about no it, no! But, I love it. But, I love it. But this I think stuff. that's when I've seen honestly Republicans, Democrats inside the Pentagon, yeah, people I, on active duty were really pissed off. I think it they're felt all like, full of shit. Really, Every, tell 100% me one hundred percent full of shit. They're, they're, first of all, what, we're not talking about the Kurds. We're talking about the PKK, right? We're talking the, about all Kurds. No, no, we're pulling we're, out. But the, what what Turkey wants is the PKK. The reason we have the relationship- Where Turkey wants to attack is the PKK. Which is a terrorist organization. No, it's arguably. Par, arguably, they're on our State Department list. Okay. I mean, Obama said it. Bush said it. Okay. PKK are bad the guys. The Turks definitely say it. The Turks say it. Right, But right. I'm saying it. Yes. Uh, if, if anyone who went to Kosovo right. knows the PKK is a terrorist organization. Okay. So that's here let's, let's say the 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 the-, the uh, the Kurds that our special forces were standing next to a month ago. Okay, now this is this is a, a completely different it's very scenario. specific, right? Right. I would make the argument that if anyone was pale faced when Yazidi Christians in that same zip code were being slaughtered when Barack Obama didn't choose to do a damn thing in northern Iraq. I think the hand rigging is completely political and, and ridiculous. I love to have a relationship with Peshmerga. I didn't make Turkey a NATO country. Okay, the the Republican Party certainly didn't make NATO uh, a partner with Turkey. That's a you rolled the dice on that. Okay, so now they said they said no to us when we wanted to come invade from the north, and now they want F thirty fives, and now they want missile defense, and and now you elect an ideologue. Now that's the problem with democracy is that in the Middle East you're going to get some really popular assholes, and and they're gonna they're gonna but Erdogan has got major major problems. I don't. I wouldn't trust him for anything, quite frankly, right? Right, right? But I will say that if we're going to look at the wheels coming off the cart in Iraq, there was a three-mile convoy that came into western Iraq from Syria when ISIS invaded. We're dropping JDAMs on dudes who are making butt dials that are living in caves. There is no way on earth that someone at CENTCOM, someone in the administration, did not see that convoy of RAV4s with black flags coming into Iraq. They chose to let them come in, and they chose to let a lot of slaughter happen. So as if we're going to talk about Trump's relationship with the Kurds, my God, Paul. I mean, there is a lot of shame so in Iraq. You're, so you're okay with it? I, you're I'm okay tell- with the pullout, and even though our troops are now getting eggs thrown at him by our Kurdish allies. We were standing next to them in a trench fight a, you know, a month ago. And then the president says, hey, you guys are out of here. So, we, so we, we, we've, left them, the we, are- we've left them, I think you will admit, we've left them to a much more difficult situation, potentially to be slaughtered. Actually, they're not and, in a more difficult situation because now they have actually weapons to defend themselves. And in, you, in the Obama administration, you they know, didn't get that. You'd, you, don't, you don't think they were better off with, with Green Beret standing next to him? I first of all, I don't think the Green Berets are better off standing next to the Kurds. But that wasn't the question. No, but right? I, I, like, do I think the Kurds are better off having American presence there? Of course. Do I think that we should ever abandon our relationship with Peshmerga? No, I think that is shameful. But I think that the response to President Trump leaving the Kurds 
is the same response I get from President Trump on everything yeah, else. Yeah, but that's not me, right? I'm, I'm talking no, no, about. But, but I'm talking about it from a tactical standpoint, well, right? How about from, this? From, from what I do, you I think, know you, when you and I were in Iraq, we had Iraqi allies, right? right? right. If if tomorrow, you know, President Bush said, "Boom, you guys are out of here," and we had this happen, you had this happen, we got pulled out, and our friends died. I, I had I had Iraqi friends who, and when we pulled out, we got the call to go. They were left behind, and they died. Right? That's all I care and, about. And, and what that's, you're saying and that's what I worry about is is this message that has been sent, whether you like it or not, whether you agree well, with it or not, that w- they were our allies and we left them hung out to dry. And now I worry, will other allies stand with us? Okay, but what what I would have loved- Right, do you, do you worry I, about that? Paul, I am 100% with you and I appreciate you acknowledging that. What I would have loved to have seen is a Paul Rykoff op-ed in 2010, which would have gone in the New York Times, Washington Post, you name it, saying President Obama- what the f are you doing? Oh, you, dude, I, I, absolutely. But that was I didn't hear. Absolutely, it. look, well, well, you weren't listening. I mean, I, I'm, I'm no, no, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm saying from I'm the, out there, from the like, group. From I've been, the group. I, no, no, but dude, when I was at IAVA, I was in a much different position. I was speaking on behalf of, of a constituency. Right. We had issues we were focused on. We had to, I had to pick my spots. Now the gloves are off, just like you, man. Right. And this is the fun part, right? right. Like you're on radio, and I got to let you go soon. You're on radio every day. I'm on the radio. I'm doing the podcast, and now I think. I think I have a more important role to play, and I think you do too. These are the conversations that are going to move America forward. And right? here's the thing. And that's why, honestly, I got to tell you, man, I hope, I hope as an independent and as an American that David Bellavia is the future of the Republican Party and not Donald Trump. The way you carry yourself most oh, of all. That's kind. The, I, the, 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 the values that you embody. And I've, I, I'm, I'm an, I, again, I'm a guy who's voted for Republicans. I will vote for the, for the man or the woman, not for the party. And, and what I hope happens is a different kind of leadership to come. We had um, uh, JT Lewis on. He's 19 years old, running for, for, uh, for office in Connecticut after his brother was shot and killed at Sandy Hook, right? Plenty of things I don't agree with him on. And he is 100% on board with Trump. But I think this kid's amazing. And I think he does represent a new face of the Republican Party, in part because of the way he carries himself. And I do think that's important because you and I have the opportunity to bring temperature down or turn it up. Right? Absolutely right. And that's what, right. I, what I've loved about our conversation today. And yeah. I hope it can continue going forward. I do. And I think it will because it has to start with mutual respect. Yeah. And it also has to 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 come to a point where you're you're talking about issues you're passionate about, but you can separate an idea from a man mm-hmm. and a woman. Mm-hmm. And you know Sometimes you can. But I mean it's it's hard. It's hard because you know, you are the person I I I, I like you, I respect you, I appreciate you. And and with that comes a lot of goodwill and trust. Right. Right? If you turn around and start shitting on my wife, right, or shitting on my friends, it's not gonna be the same. Right. And and I think that's the the tone is what I think is different. And I think that transcends partisanship. And and that's why I hope it can go in the right direction. We'll see. And I think it's gonna be voices like yours. Like I but in, in no, that, let, me, in let, that, me, let me let me let me finish ahead, this point. So the question now is who's gonna be Trump's VP? Now there are, are rumors that maybe it's gonna be Nikki Haley. Maybe he'll he'll switch from Pence and pick someone like Nikki Haley. Right. So who would you like to see be the future of the Republican Party? As as a, as a as an ambassador for the Republican Party, as a as an advocate for the Republican Party, who do you think represents not now but the future? I think um, you're looking at these hybrid. You know, uh, there there's a new form of Republican that's out there. We have to have more women. We have to have more diversity. It's 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 just a sign of the times. Um, you you can't you know even if you're saying the same thing, you have to look different. You know, the Republicans are not the party of rich, you know, white guys. And yet 
we run rich white guys for president every four years, you know? So it's, it's, there's gotta be something uh, that we, you know, move to just, I, I think where America is. And the other side of that though, I believe the future of the Republican party is African-Americans. I, I really do. I, I think African-Americans are going to realize that they are a hundred percent correct with the way uh, most uh, black people live in our cities. That housing is, we have Guantanamo people living better than some people do in the city. Is there, I'm not going to challenge that, but to ask you, is, is there anyone in particular you think? No, I'm just that, saying that, 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 it's, that is, that is a leader that like, who, who would you, I you believe, know, I, I who, believe. who do you, who do you see as, as, as folks that you could get, let's assume Trump gets reelected and, and leaves after a second term. Who, who are you looking to and hope that will run for president for the Republican party down the line? Oh, I, I mean, I, again, I, I'm not an ideologue. I'm not just going to just look at someone and say, because you're my party, I'm automatically with but you. You see so, leaders, you see fat folks on your show, I, I mean, look, I, you meet I look them at, on the trail, you see the star, you see the, would, you see the grassroots, you see the, the farm team. Right. Right. And there are many vets, right? Like somebody like Dan Crenshaw, right? Right. Eric Greitens was a star for a long time, right? He was considered kind of the future of the Republican. Duncan Hunter for a while. There, there are well, names out there, yeah, right? Sure. Tom uh, Cotton is, Tom is Cotton. A, a rock star. All those guys like Crenshaw and everything else. But but again, I, I think it's going to be uh, a, a woman. I think it's going to be someone that is not uh, not typical from the playbook. And, and the other thing is, is that I, I think that even if liberals get elected, I, I think we still are going to rotate around the sun. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, just I to, appreciate that. Yeah, no, no, I, I do. I, I think I think that's really important because we gotta. No matter who wins next year, we gotta figure out how to get along together. And now, I don't hope, get me wrong. I don't want to see it happen. <laughs> right, right, right. But right. but I don't believe the world ends because someone you know gets the vote out. Well, I I think we should do this every week. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> yeah, fun. Have fun. me on your radio show. You're really good. And we at can this. talk football, but I wanna I wanna thank you for your for your time, for your advocacy, for the way you represent this country, the way you represent this state. I think if you ran for governor, a lot of people would be shaking in their boots. I think you could do wow. well statewide. Um you know, it'd be interesting to have Trump stumping for you in New York City. You have to get some serious security. But, well, but, but as long but, as I, I know where to get a car. Absolutely. Before we leave, I have the last phase is yes. the giving of the gifts. Oh. And so we have gifts to thank you for your conversation today. No, you know, I'm going to hold the mic for oh, you. Thank you. So we got three things in there. Wow. The first is, you can start with that because I know you went right for the whiskey first. Fort Hamilton. Fort wow, Hamilton. That's awesome. A, a military base in yeah. New York. And it's uh, Fort Hamilton's new double barrel rye whiskey wow. and it's a great history it's named after fort hamilton really which many cool. people don't even realize there's a, there's a base in brooklyn that's right and this this is a, a great supporter of this show in the military and then you got, got peeps we got peeps so this is part of the show usually we have yellow pink and blue right and you have to pick a color and why somebody stole the yellow peeps i don't know who right. it is we're gonna track them down maybe right. you can get some of your army buddies but uh, if you if you had to choose a color of peeps mm -hmm. yellow pink or blue oh blue why? Yeah. Uh, I just blue is just like the, it's like the infantry color. It's that's right. what we do. Why is why is the sky blue? Because God, God loves, loves the infantry. infantry right that's there, right. you go, there you go. Yeah. All right. And so, as an infantry man, you'll appreciate this. We've got an Angry Americans T-shirt, awesome. and it's uh, American made by the veterans of Oscar Mike, made in the USA. Very, Very cool. hard to do. Very cool. But these guys are great, and I hope you will uh, wear that and enjoy it on yeah. on your travels. Um, I know you've been uh, on the road a lot, and you've been. I can't imagine. Oh, let me ask you a last question. The movie. They, yeah. they, they, you sold the movie rights about your life at some point. Are, are they going to do the movie about your life? Yeah, you know, we're still waiting on it. The, the big issue here is that, you know, these are real people. I'm not going to change their names. They lived. They died. I want to tell America how they died. 
And I just, I really am not going to um, turn those men's legacies into Starship Troopers with hmm. Fallujah edition. Hmm. It's not, it's not war pornography. It's a story about men who did incredible things for all of us. And uh, if that's not the agenda, then, you know, I'm good. Hmm. Maybe we get Pete Burr. Have you talked to Pete Burr? Have not. Have not. Well, he was in this chair a couple months ago. Man. And uh, maybe we can make that happen. But well, either way, it's man. a story that must be told. How many books you got? Uh, one and another on the way. And when's the new book coming out? Uh, not sure. Probably about a year. And how can folks listen to your show or follow you on Twitter? They just go to uh, dutyfirst.com. It's duty1st.com. And uh, that's the website. And I am infinitely grateful, my friend, for you spending this time with us, for all that you do for this country. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see what happens. What you've shouldered is, uh, is unimaginable. And uh, the Every way time. you've shouldered it has been incredibly important and diplomatic. And now you're kind of the elder statesman of this new generation of, of uh, Medal of Honor recipients. So if they're the, uh, the Avengers, you're like Captain America well, of the Avengers. And well, that's a you, very, I mean, in all sincerity, it's a very uh, important very role. Kind. To be, to be the, the, uh, the elder statesman of that group is really, really important for America. That's, that's we're very, very, very grateful for you. Thank you, Thank my friend, you, for bro. being here. I appreciate it. You're great. Thank, Thank you. you. We've got a new partner for this show, and I'm really excited to tell you more about them. Fort Hamilton Whiskey. In August 1775, Alexander Hamilton's Hearts of Oak Militia orchestrated a daring raid on Lower Manhattan. Under fire from the HMS Asia, they seized and repurposed the battery of British cannons, therefore forming America's first artillery company. That is the spirit of revolution. And that is the spirit of Fort Hamilton whiskey. Fort Hamilton rye is a traditional Northeastern American style rye, which has no corn in the mash. It's made purely with rye, malted barley, yeast, and water to get a rich, full, and really robust flavor. I love it. And their rye is barreled at a low proof, which means a smoother profile that emphasizes the rye over the barrel. And it's non-chill filtered and aged in heavily charred new American white oak barrels on the Brooklyn waterfront. That's where they do it. And as is tradition for Eastern Rise, the warehouse is heated in the winter to keep the aging process moving. Now, Fort Hamilton Rye Whiskey is the first offering from my friend Alex Clark and Alex Clark Spirits, their Brooklyn-based company. Whilst excellent served over ice, Fort Hamilton Whiskey is the perfect companion for some cool handcrafted cocktails. There's a few of them on the website you can check out and inspire your favorite spirited libations. They have one that I love called the Liberty or Death. That's the name of it. It's got two ounces of Fort Hamilton rye. It's got some chai syrup in it. It's got three dashes of Agnostra bitters and two dashes of cardamom bitters and a large ice cube and an orange twist. And you put all the ingredients in the ice-filled glass, you stir it, and then you strain it into a rocks glass. You add a cube and a garnish. I can't say all those ingredients properly, but I can drink them, and they're damn good, and so is the whiskey. The barrel looks awesome. It has cannons on it. It has tremendous history, and it is absolutely fantastic stuff that I highly recommend. Our guests have had it here on the show, and many more will in the days ahead. We will have them involved in our events, but check out Fort Hamilton Whiskey. Go to their website, forthamiltonwhiskey.com. You can find out where you can get it in your area to find stores that have it and learn the history. Fort Hamilton Whiskey. It's a piece of American history. 
and it's some fantastic whiskey. Fort Hamilton Whiskey, forthamiltonwhiskey.com. All right, it's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Now, no matter how bad it is outside, no matter how much chaos, how much war, every show, I offer a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and will make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. Combat is loud. It's chaotic. It's stressful. And when you're in combat, you need the ground truth. You need the straight skinny. No bullshit. No emotion, just the facts, the things you need most. And the same is true right now as impeachment proceedings roll on. And my recommended action this week, it's one that's about getting you the basics of what you need when you need the most. Nothing fancy, just the core elements without any fluff. What I do now is I take a real brisk walk each morning. Doctors are figuring out it's better for you than jogging. And I'll tell you something else they're just figuring out. Oatmeal is even better for you than you thought. High in fiber, high in protein, low in calories, and no cholesterol whatsoever. Our media landscape is filled with sugary cereals, frosted Pop-Tarts, and frozen leftover pizza. Stuff that might taste good or might give you a quick sugar high, but it'll leave you empty later. That's what cable news is and especially cable news coverage of important or dramatic moments like this. So right now, leave it behind and watch C-SPAN. Yeah, C-SPAN. Leave Fox and MSNBC and CNN and all the other junk on the back of the shelf. I know that junk. I'm a part of it. But leave it alone and avoid the possibility of the kids finding it or breaking your diet or getting high and digging it out. Stick with the boring, no-nonsense, healthy-for-you C-SPAN, the oatmeal of media. Maybe you can splurge a little and stick around for some book TV or video of British parliamentary proceedings. Those are fun. They get pretty cranked up over there. But don't get spun. Hear it for yourself, like you were sitting in the chamber yourself. Eric Wemple, the media critic at the Washington Post, had a good piece laying out the fact that you're in luck. C-SPAN's going big on impeachment. The always neutral public affairs channel is actually funded by the cable industry. It's like their tax for poisoning your mind, like when state lotteries have to give money back to public schools. So when you see clips of congressional hearings on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, and other networks, you are in effect watching C-SPAN. That's because the operation provides pool coverage, that's what it's called, of congressional hearings and other Capitol Hills goings-on to the networks. And in return, it gets pool coverage of other events from broadcasters, like President Bush taking questions from reporters after a North Korean summit. A normal, boring-ass congressional hearing, like the hundreds I've attended, prepped for, and testified at. The exciting world of the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Committees, HVAC and SVAC. Things that are so boring that HVAC gets confused with heating and air conditioning, 
and SVAC sounds like a vacuum brand. Well, those boring hearings, they usually feature three cameras from C-SPAN. One head-on for the chair, one for the witness, another side camera for the committee members. But not this week, people. C-SPAN will have seven cameras around the hearing room, two for the chair and other members, two on either side, one witness camera, and two high and wide for that panoramic look. So it'll be like warm oatmeal, not just the cold stuff, but warm oatmeal, maybe with bananas. Really exciting stuff. It's not exciting, but it's important. And it's important for you to be empowered, to decide for yourself and to be informed and to be vigilant. They used to say oatmeal will save you from a heart attack. Well, maybe C-SPAN can help us save the heart of our nation. So eat your oatmeal, watch your C-SPAN. That's how you can be a helper, a helper to our democracy when it really needs it most. It'll stick to your ribs this winter and it'll warm you up. It's the right thing to do. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag angry Americans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. All right, big thanks to a few folks that helped make this episode happen. First up, David Bellavia, awesome American. Check out his website and his book, House to House. If you're in Buffalo, you can check him out on the radio, WBENAM 930. You can also listen on radio.com from anywhere. Thanks also to Dresden Angle and his team at Duty First. She is awesome and has an awesome name. Big thanks to the Classic Car Club for hosting us, as always, Jeanette, Phil Cavanaugh, Mike Pinchinello, Zach Mosley, Heather Phelan, and especially Richie Quintos Martinez. Richie's always taking good care of us. Thank you, Richie. Also, thanks to Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, Roy Velchek, and our whole rock star crew at Righteous Media. They power this show and all the platforms around it. Big shout out and thanks to Lee Denham. They gave me some awesome gear, including the very cool denim shirt I wore for my conversation with David Bellavia. You can see it on our YouTube page or go to angryamericans.us. Lee Denham's got this men's vintage style collection. It's really cool. And a women's reissue collection. These are recreations of stuff from like 70 years ago. And they have these historical pieces from their archives that they've replicated for first edition garments, especially for women. It's a limited edition re-release and a homage to Lee's 130-year history and the industrious spirit of women who claim men's workwear for their own. It's pretty cool. It's all American. Check it out. But my thanks to Lee Denham. And big thanks to our friends at Fort Hamilton Whiskey. They are a new partner, and they've got our back. Thanks to Bill Schultz for producing this episode, which was done exceptionally late. I appreciate his audio magic. I'd go into a foxhole with you any day. Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. Check out all the new designs at angryamericans.us. Also, thanks to Tommy Vitor and the team from Crooked Media and Pod Save America. They had me on the show this week. It's the biggest political podcast in America, and we have a ton of new listeners. So thanks to you, and welcome. John Favreau, John Lovett, Dan Pfeiffer, thanks to all you guys. Favreau and I actually go way back into 2004 when he helped me on a speech, uh, when he was a speechwriter for John Kerry. More on that story another time. I said it on that show and I say it all the time. The guys at Pods of America have changed the political media and podcasting game forever. And I hope that Angry Americans can be for independence what Pods of America has been for Democrats. I disagree with those guys on a lot of things, agree with them on a lot of things, but they've had a really important impact on our democracy. And what crooked is for the left or Breitbart is for the right, that's what I want righteous to be for the middle and for the independents and the unaffiliated, which is so many of you, of course, but all are welcome. 
If you're angry and you're paying attention, you give a shit, you want to learn a thing or two, you know you're not alone. This is your place and you're appreciated. Also, last week was Veterans Day. I want to thank everybody who helped support the 13th annual IAVA Heroes Gala. It was a huge success, supported the cause, and a lot of folks showed up, especially Mick Foley, Mankind, was there. Golden Tate from the New York Giants and his wife, Willie Geist was there from NBC and our guest from episode one. Go back and check that out. David Goggins, who is an inspirational wild man. Check him out. And Nico Lowry, the exceptional auctioneer from Antiques Roadshow, one of the best dressed guys you'll ever see. Great job by Jeremy Butler, the new CEO of IAVA, by Sean Ullman, Tom Porter, Jeff Ziegler, Lindsey Rodman, Kristen Rouse, and everybody in the IAVA team. You guys and gals are awesome. I love you and I'm inspired by you. So it's that time for Thank a Listener. Every week, I will thank a few angry Americans for listening. I'll make you famous. And yes, I'll make you famous. Call 833-33-ANGRY. That's 833-33-ANGRY. That's 833-332-6479. Call, leave me a voicemail, tell me what's got you angry, and maybe we'll use it in a future show. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. Call that number, leave a message, and you'll get a chance to sound off like this. Hi, Paul. My name is Eva. I'm a Wisconsinite, and I just started listening to your podcast yesterday. I'm already hooked. I am angry about Americans and what their priorities are as far as politics go. I have a friend who told me he is a moderate. He said that he would vote for uh, Trump again over Bernie Sanders. Um, And his reasoning basically was that The economy has been great under Trump. Uh, It angers me that this is a priority over other things and kind of cancels out what Trump has done. It also makes me consider voting for Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders or other candidates who appear to be radical. So this is just one thing that I'm angry about. Thank you. Eva, welcome. I hear you. I think a lot of folks deep inside the Democratic Party are way out of touch with the rest of America. I feel you. I think Bernie will have a real challenge in the general election. I think Elizabeth Warren would too. They're on the left side of the Democratic Party and way left of the American political spectrum. Admittedly, they say that. I think this is part of why Biden's still holding so many people, especially beyond the Democratic Party. And I think it's why Buttigieg is rising. He's capturing a lot of those same people. He's a moderate. His policies are more moderate. And that's why... I see him as kind of like a legacy to Biden and his spot on the political spectrum. He's like Biden, but more evolved and more modern. He's like Biden 2.0, especially in terms of inheriting the mantle of the moderates. And if Biden slips up big time or gets sick, then Mayor Pete's probably going to be there to scoop up his people. I think that's part of why Bloomberg's jumping in. He sees the same thing. But thanks for calling, Eva. Stay warm out there. Your Packers are looking good. Big win over Carolina last week in the snow. That was fun to watch. Also, another caller. Hi, Mr. Rykoff. I'm Kate from West Milford, New Jersey. My son is a current serving submariner, and I linked him to your podcast because I want him to be aware of policies now that will affect him later on. Um, he shares your views, and he's a smart voter. He likes to be up on the issues. Just wanted to show some appreciation from current serving military and their families. And happy Veterans Month. Take care. Happy Veterans Month to you too, Kate. What a lovely message. We appreciate you and your son. Submariner life is very hard and important and just as important as having the support of a family member like you. Uh, He volunteered and you got drafted. So what you do every day is a service, not just to him, 
but our entire country. And for that, we all thank you. And I salute you. And I'm sure you're all pulling for Navy football, which reminds me, I screwed up last week. I got the date wrong on the Navy versus Notre Dame game. I thought it was last weekend, but last weekend, Navy actually had a bye. So it's this week, this week, number 16, Notre Dame versus number 21, Navy. One of the few times you'll hear me say, go Navy. And Army must have been motivated by Fox NFL being on campus at West Point last week. They slaughtered UMass 63 to 7. That means it's about one month from now, December 14th in Philly, Army versus Navy. Stay tuned. Okay, a couple other folks to thank. First up, Jennifer Ring from Clemens, North Carolina. She tweets it at ECU Jen. She does not have a bio, but she has a damn cute photo of a little white dog laying on a black and white blanket. Uh, And she tweeted to us and to James Laporta. I was so excited to learn more about you on Angry Americans and to learn that the character on NBC This Is Us is based on so much truth. She's talking to James Laporta. Thank you for being willing to share your story with us. We're all grateful. Now that James Laporta Halloween special is getting tons of great feedback, and This Is Us fans are just starting to find out about that one. So if you know folks who are a fan of that show, it's a huge show. Tell them to check out episode 31 with James Laporta. It's awesome. Next up, Fat Tony. That's his name, not mine. Fat Tony from Virginia, USA. He tweets it at Fat Tony 77. He calls himself a conservative libertarian. He believes in limited government, kept in check by an informed activist electorate, husband, father, Navy senior chief, naval officer, Browns fan. He also heard the Jim Laporta episode and said, Jim Laporta, listening to you with Paul Rykoff and Angry Americans, a moving tribute to our sailors. When you said the thing that makes you an angry American is the stories of our young sailors dying by suicide, not getting enough attention. Thank you, Devil Dog, Semper Fidelis. Fat Tony, thank you, sir. Uh, in the future, I want to hear more about why they call you Fat Tony. I hope it's not a Trump thing. Um, anyway, next up, also an interesting name, Vonnie Schallenberger. Vonnie Schallenberger from Fort Worth, Texas. Thank you to you. Vonnie tweets at at White Lion Roars, which is a fantastic Twitter handle. Uh, Vonnie is an author, jokester, lover of all life, non-theist science groupie, also a writer, a cook, baker, unpaid actor, comedian, wife, wicked stepmother, and dotting granny. Vonnie, we appreciate you very much. And she noticed that Trump and Melania were going to be at the Veterans Day Parade and was asking if Trump was going to get booed. And she wrote, Paul Rykoff, Angry Americans, talked about this very thing in this week's episode. And linked in her bio is a website, and it's whitelionroars.com which I was so fascinated by, but the site is down. I was so interested and so disappointed, but still fascinated. So see folks, I do pay attention. Keep your Twitter bios fresh because I will be looking. And a newcomer I want to welcome, Andy Rue from Germantown, Ohio. She tweets at Andrejea R. uh, And her bio is rants with the arbitrival nature of humans, drinker of Dr. Pepper, thrower of glitter, easy to impress, yet generally underwhelmed. Jesse's girl, she slash her. I also love Dr. Pepper. I was once told the secret ingredient is prune juice. I don't know if that's true or not. But Andy Rue tweeted, uh, Angry Americans, I love the title of your show so much. It's literally perfect. New fan, thanks for your fantastic interview on Pod Save America. I subscribed and listening to some back episodes now. Thank you for all you do. Now, I follow your website, 
which was linked also, Andy Rue, and the website was also interesting. It was worldforreels.com. That site worked, but it was mad shady. It just had related links to things that kind of looked like ads. College of Europe, top of Europe, world's smallest, best colleges, universities nearby. I'm still psyched to have you here, so welcome, 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 but your website was a little strange. And if you're new like Andy Rue and catching up, welcome. Go back and check out all the episodes. we got a lot of cool stuff in the archives, and a lot of you are just finding them. And since it's Veterans Month, all month long, all of November, we have focused a lot on veterans and national security issues, not just on Veterans Day. So go back and hear interviews with veterans and veteran supporters, including Jim Laporta from Newsweek, incredible activist and author Wes Moore, candidate for president Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, Amy McGrath, the fighter pilot who is running against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, Willie Geis from NBC, uh, Bob Woodruff last week, and many others. We also talk about much more. We talk about news, culture, sports, music, parenthood, whiskey. It's all in there, but check them out and keep the feedback coming. And until then, use the hashtag Angry Americans and sound off. I am grateful to all of you. And as always, a thanks to my family, my amazing wife and two boys. It is my wife's birthday this week. And baby, you are the radiant light. We are all infinitely grateful to feel the warmth of every single day. You inspire us, you support us, you fight for us. And always you keep us laughing and surrounded with love, especially this year with our four under four. You've done it like a true superhero. And with a power and kindness and heart that shows our kids and everyone what a true role model looks like. So happy birthday to my wife, Lauren. Every moment with you is worth celebrating, but especially this week, we adore you and can't wait to have you home from LA. She's actually in Los Angeles for work right now. I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. Every time I go to California for a trip, I would play that. And my wife gave me shit about it this morning. So this one's for you, babe. And I do love this shit out of California. And when we get the Angry Americans tour going, which is coming soon, we'll definitely be out there to see you all. Lots of fish tacos, the beach, the redwoods, good vibes, good people, great weed, all of it. California is truly one of my favorite countries on the planet. Yes, countries. I also want to say much love to all our friends out there that have been facing and fighting these insane wildfires. Special thanks to all the firefighters. I know lots of our listeners are first responders, and we cover a lot of first responders' issues. My dad is a volunteer firefighter and has been for about 40 years. Just want you to know we appreciate you, we love you, and we are thankful for you. And so related, my son's favorite movie on the planet is Planes, Fire and Rescue. It's one of mine too. If you haven't seen it, do it. It's awesome. And it actually gets me choked up every time and motivates the hell out of me. When you're surrounded by a fight, when you're headed into a fight, 
and fighting a fire, like we all are in America now, it'll motivate you. The soundtrack is also awesome. And on permanent play in our house, and anytime we're in a car or even on the stroller, we have a little jam box that we hang in the side of the stroller when we're rolling around my little guy. So this is a song you'll hear often floating around me and my family. It's a bit of inspiration for you. And finally, my thanks as always to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. If you're on an Apple device, please leave the show a quick review. Those matter and they help. That's the price I ask. I don't charge anything to listen to this show. But subscribe now also. Please do that, and we'll have it hot and fresh and waiting for you every Thursday morning. As soon as possible, just in time for your Thursday commute to work. And if it's late, my bad. Hang in there. We'll try our best to get up early every Thursday. Uh, And I'm often doing TV shows uh, or radio shows the day after. I'm going to be on with Stephanie Rule exclusively this Thursday uh, and in many Thursdays to come to talk about this pod and whatever else is happening in the news. So check that out. And Wednesday nights, check out our social media for a hint of who our next guest is. You can guess the guest and win some very special Angry Americans goodies, made in the USA goodies. And definitely keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. Next week, we will be back with a fresh new show and a new guest. And some really good ones are coming. As shit gets real in America, we're going to keep bringing some awesome guests and the four eyes and a lot of surprises. So stay tuned. Until then, subscribe for free and share. We'll keep this movement growing week by week. And of course, remember, it's okay to be angry and know you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact even and especially when there's a war outside. When everything's on fire, if you keep your head and stick together, there's a path out. And together, we'll find it. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. And especially when those bullets are flying, real or political, stay vigilant, America. America.